Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. And thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, don't go anywhere. we got a great show tonight. Uh, join us by calling in at 347-945-7428 and listen to our guest tonight as well as uh, will we say the beginning of making America great again? Last night, Donald Trump swept uh, the five states, becoming even closer uh, to gaining the nomination uh, for the GOP uh, presidential bid. And so we are getting closer to that. And tonight we'll also have someone from the Green Party who may surprise you with some of the stances on some of the issues. So we'll be talking with him tonight. Uh, look forward to that, uh, see when he gets uh, called in. And kind of as a preview uh, of him, I was actually at the Green Party convention uh, back earlier in April, and we had him on the show. Or we didn't have him on the show, but, you know, I got a chance to talk with him and, and get a little bit of a recording of uh, what his platform is. And uh, some of it may actually surprise you. So let's go ahead and take some time to listen to that. And, again, if uh, you'd like to call in and be a part of the show, give us a call at 347-945-7428. And let's hear uh, from our guest, who is Dennis Lambert, and he is running for the U.S. House of Representatives. And let's hear what he's got to say, and then uh, hopefully we'll get him called in uh, so he can uh, give us more information about uh, the platform you hear in this audio and more. We focus in the Green Party on four P's of people, planet, peace, and profit. My campaign has four M's, and those P and M's mean a nightfall, the post-meridian time to draw the shades on the Democrats and the Republicans, because their time is over. It's nighttime for them. The Green Party is the new dawn for America. So for the people part, the first M on my campaign is Medicare for all. As you all can see here, I'm wearing the uh, SPAM t-shirt underneath my uniform here. Healthcare is a human right. I fully believe that healthcare is a human right prior to the 1970s when managed healthcare started coming into our system. That's where our healthcare costs increased. Insurance companies are only interested in profit, not for caring for people. That's why we need a Medicare program for all Americans. Planet. You know, planet, when we talk about it in the Green Party, we talk about Earth. My planet is Mars. 
I want us to get to our asses to Mars, as Arnold Schwarzenegger said, in total recall. <laughs> I have a friend who worked for NASA and who now uh, has to work in the commercial system. Uh, he, he doesn't mind it too much, but he would much rather be one of those people going to the moon and to the Mars. Our country needs that vision of a future beyond what we have here. That's where we grow great. So with that Mars exploration, we need to invest in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. We need to improve the education system for everybody, and that includes free college and elimination of student debt. I myself owe $65,000 out of $42,000 that I borrowed, and it's been eight years since I graduated college. I still owe that money. I probably still owe that money for the next 15, 20 years. Peace. Peace portion of my program is military. As a veteran myself, my daily job is I work with veterans on a daily basis to help them overcome their barriers and help them become self-reliant. I connect them to resources in the community that they're not aware of. I fight for them on a daily basis to get the benefits that they're entitled to. I've recently helped uh, several vets uh, get their jobs back at the VA as well as being a legal representation for them where the VA has fired them illegally. We're losing 22 veterans every day to suicide. That's 22 people. This is the most threatened minority in the United States today, is the military. There's not 22 Mexicans killing themselves every day. There's 22 veterans killing themselves every day. There's not 22 black people killing themselves every day. It's 22 veterans. Cops are killing them. Yes. <laughs> but this is suicide that we're talking about. 22 people that are killing themselves because the government has failed them. They've done their service and they deserve the treatment that they have fought for. And they sacrificed their time, their talent, and their lives for. I myself served eight years and I'm not considered a veteran by the government. I say to hell with them. I, I am a veteran. I serve my country and I want to make sure all my brothers and sisters, as well as everybody here, can achieve what they are entitled to in life. And that's a good living to not be pressured by having bills hanging over your head and wondering if you're going to be able to afford medication or food. It should not be a choice between medication and food. Medication should be available and cheap. And lastly, let's talk about profit. Uh, my profit is marijuana. That's the largest cash crop in the United States. It's going to be the largest cash crop in the United States for the next 15, 20 years. I fully support the total legalization of marijuana. Yes. Yeah. It is the absolute best treatment for traumatic brain injury and one of the best treatments for cancer that we have available. And it's ignorant that we have it still illegal this many years, over 100 years since they first started pressing legislation as a means to suppress minorities. We all now know that marijuana is a, an effective medication for several different ailments, and we absolutely need to take the next step to make sure that it's legal and available for all those who need it. So I said this is a PM speech. Last PM is a postmortem. The postmortem that we're looking at is the Democrats and Republicans. They're no longer supporting the citizens of America. We see where their interests lie. It all lies in their donors. I've never accepted a donation from anybody who owns a business, 
much less in business. All my campaigns, I've spent less than a thousand dollars. I've gotten over six thousand votes. I'm about to wrap up. So let me just say, the only way we can move our country forward is by voting for independent candidates, specifically in Ohio, Green Party candidates. And I would appreciate everybody's support this year in the election, next election, and the following elections. I appreciate and love everyone. And again, folks, as I said earlier, probably uh, some of the things you've heard from uh, our guest tonight where we're still waiting for him to uh, call in uh, is probably stuff you're not used to hearing from the Green Party uh, or about Green Party candidates. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to touch uh, briefly each one of the points that he made during that. Now, as I reiterate, was from the Ohio uh, Green Party Convention that was done earlier this month. And I do see, uh, Susan, you like to chime in, and we will get you into the show. Of course, with the authors, we'll, we'll talk about Trump's uh, victory last night. Uh, we're going to, of course, talk about our topic tonight, the beginning of making America great again. We're also going to be talking about the uh, VP pick for uh, that Ted Cruz made today. We're going to analyze and, and talk more about that, as well as who we think, and, of course, uh, you out there think should be the VP pick. Uh, for Trump if he was to indeed get the nomination, uh, which, of course, he is poised uh, to do so. And so we'll be talking more about uh, that this evening. So on the point of sorrow, uh, I was very impressed with uh, Dennis, especially the first part he was talking about when he was talking about uh, getting to the moon and getting to Mars. Not even Donald Trump uh, is talking about this. Now, Newt Gingrich did uh, talk about doing a moon colony back in 2012. He was laughed at, but unbeknownst to maybe a lot of people who were laughing at him, uh, such as the you know, Republicans as Mitt Romney, there are other nations in the world, uh, such as uh, Russia, India, China, you know, those nations such as that who are actually working on their space programs to build a uh, England or, or to try to build a colony on the moon uh, do, do research on it. You'll find it. I guarantee it. How do I know? Because I've seen it. I've read articles of it. And he's the only candidate from any party and any of the can, presidential candidates that's talking about that. Now, one of the things I pointed out uh, when I was uh, asking some questions to Jill Stein, he's the presidential, uh, presumptive presidential uh, nominee for the Green Party, is for every $1 spent on space exploration, uh, we, get, we bring back $6 from that. Uh, one such as the thing of the microwave, that's one of the things that came uh, from space exploration, you know, just not just going on the space, but what they need to be able to, to be out there uh, and thrive. Teflon uh, is another example of that. And I'm sure there's a slew of others, but I should do one of these shows to get a, a list of all the benefits that we've had from ex, uh, space exploration uh, that has helped our economy. Of course, uh, that would include jobs as well. And so, that very much impressed me on that, and I've been wanting to hear a candidate uh, speak something of that. And when I heard uh, him uh, say that his uh, six-minute speech they allowed him, my ears really perked up uh, when I heard that uh, because I've been waiting for someone to talk about that the entire eight, nine months, maybe even ten months of this past uh, campaign. And so I was glad to hear it. Now, I also, of course, you know, talked about health care. I want to hopefully, then we get called in, ask him more about that. I wanted to bring up and see what his points are. Uh, about my questions on does he think people should be able to keep their own health care? 
which I think they uh, they ought to. And Trump's plan uh, does include that. Um, also, uh, he was talking about peace. I want to do about more about that. Of course, student loans. Um, frankly, I've got student loans that I'm going to probably be paying on until I retire. Uh, and then, you know, do I want the government to just pay them all off and me be free of them? Of course, part of me does. Part of us, who wouldn't? However, that, you know, kind of takes away my sense of uh, personal responsibility. So, yeah, I'm not too keen on that. I don't want anybody paying my way uh, for anything, frankly. Uh, I'd rather do that and earn it myself. Uh, so, but, you know, there are, you know, are some points, and this is what Bernie Sanders was making, about the possibility of uh, public colleges, you know, ones that aren't private, like the university I went to, uh, because now getting a college education is pretty much on par on what it was a generation ago, getting a high school, uh, you know, high school diploma. And so that may be something I, people think, well, oh my gosh, that's liberal, Robert. But uh, it does bear looking into uh, how we pay for it. I definitely would like to have a discussion because some of these ideas, uh, even giving people health care, uh, isn't a bad idea in and of itself. Of course, we want healthy people. But we need to have feasible ways of paying for it uh, for that. Um, and then uh, last thing before I bring in Susan is that I talk about the legalization of marijuana uh, with, for me. And I do believe that hemp, industrialized hemp especially, uh, could be a, a cash crop around the country, especially uh, with the decline in tobacco use, and I'm glad to see the deba- uh, decline of tobacco use. But industrialized hemp, you can make so much. Uh, from hemp that you can even use with wood. I mean, you can even use wood fibers, make two-by-fours to build homes, uh, furniture, uh, parts in cars. And I'm not mean running parts in cars, but uh, there are some, you know, parts you can use uh, the fibers for in cars. Okay, so that's, you know, it just gets so many uses. And then, of of course, with uh, you being able to use industrialized hemp, uh, instead of using the pulp from trees, of course, that would help greatly out with a passion of mine, and that is uh, curtailing deforestation, uh, which is something that I would like to see done. And so we'll touch all of those points tonight. Hopefully we got uh, enough time, but we do have almost three hours. And so let's go ahead and bring in uh, Susan so she can make comments on the uh, efforts, not efforts, <laughs> the events of today. And uh, especially, you know, with what we want to talk about in our topic tonight. And I want to thank those uh, coming and also those in chat. Uh, good to see you, uh, Carolyn. And if those out there listening would like to enter the chat too, all you have to do is to get in and log in, and you'll be able to enter the chat. Now, I know folks uh, might not want to have their name out there. You can make a pseudoname. Uh, or if you just want to listen, of course, that's fine as well. But if you'd like to chime in, give us a call at 347-945-7428. And let's go ahead and have our uh, conversation tonight. So thank you very much, Susan, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hi, I'm fine. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. Oh, don't even, don't even get me started on Trump's stupidity about having Chris Christie in his office somewhere, and Cruz's stupidity. I missed. I missed that. I, I, I missed that. So tell me more about. Tell, tell us more about that. Well, he's. He's going to have him. That's what Chris Christie's angling for, and he's always there with Donald Trump behind him, smiling, so, you know, whatever. And then there's, what is it with these candidates and their stupid picks for VP and all the other positions? I don't get it. 
I know why Kennedy picked Johnson. He was blackmailed. He didn't want him. <clears throat> so I'm not well, sure Bush, what's going and, on. And Reagan didn't want Bush, but they kind of had to. Well, to try to again, bring the I'm party sure, together. Well, I suspect it was some kind of blackmail or bribery or threat, more likely. Uh, that's what usually happens. That's why Clinton was not indicted, you know, with his situation. Helen Chenoweth told my friend Bo that, plain and simple, they had blackmail on pretty much every congressman if they had tried to do that. There was only one or two, and Ron Paul was one of them. They couldn't find anything to use against him to not do that. But, of course, it was safe because he uh, couldn't do it by himself. So they use that. They use that all the time, some kind of blackmail, some kind of form of whatever. And uh, so who knows what's going on there. But I would love to see Rand Paul and Mike Lee together on the ticket. Oh, my gosh, what a ticket that would be. That's my dream ticket right there. I mean, Rand Paul and Mike Lee backed him. When Congress tried to sneak a whole bunch of out of the budget for um, Social Security, they, um, Rand Paul stopped him. So, um, yeah, hey, the smart ones know how to stop and what to stop the right thing. And unfortunately, they don't make it into the White House, I guess. So I guess we're lucky to have him as a congressman, but senator. So anyway, that's okay, what he's on. I just been disgusted with all of it. Yeah, and I really. And we'll talk more, of course, about yes, and of course we'll talk more about uh, that this evening uh, as well. And of course, we'll talk about Cruz's attempt uh, by saying that he's going to bring on. Fiorina for her, you know, for her to be his VP pick, unprecedented. Uh, the timing of it, we all know what it's for. She's from California. He's going to try to take, you know, use that to get California votes. It's not going to work. Uh, but we'll talk more about that uh, tonight. First, I believe we have our a guest on, and so let's go ahead and open up his mic. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Dennis, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm sorry for calling you. For getting the call. I been uh, so busy with work and uh, I just barely had time to do my laundry so <laughs> so you're a working politician <laughs> oh yeah yeah I, I work day in day out well we appreciate it that gives time to talk more about our other topics for this evening I did uh, play the uh, remember at the convention uh, that uh, you and I were at the Ohio Green Party Convention and, you know, you had your, your six-minute opportunity uh, to talk about your platform. And, you know, we I, get, I actually made an audio clip of that and played it at the beginning of the show and kind of made some, some brief comments on those. And so I kind of want to iterate that. I know your website only mentions three of them, uh, which is talk about the environment, veterans, um, and jobs. And so let's go ahead and, you know, got a, a series of questions for you, of course, and then, of course, uh, open it up to the panelists uh, to have you on, and if uh, perhaps some folks in the audience, if we have time, uh, would like to chime in as well. And so, uh, first, let's go ahead and you know tell us more about your your background, and we'll go uh, from there. Uh, well, I was uh, born in Columbus, Ohio, on uh, March 1st, uh, on the 171st anniversary of the state becoming a state. 
lived in Columbus till I was about four or five, and then we moved to uh, White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. That's where the Greenbrier is. And I spent a lot of my formative years running around the hills of West Virginia. We finally ended up in uh, Asheville, Kentucky, about the time I was in junior high, and I graduated from uh, Paul Blazer High School there in Ashland. Uh, joined the Army right after high school. Uh, I was in the Boy Scouts. I got my Eagle Scout, uh, of course, so... Uh, just before I turned 18, <laughs> uh, joined the Army, uh, spent most of my time in the reserves, uh, got my uh, associate's degree at Ohio University, and started teaching. Uh, my degree was in radio and television production, but they needed somebody to teach television production to Portsmouth City School students, so they hired me to do that uh, as half of my job and run their internet and build their network as the other half of their job uh, that they wanted me to do. Uh, then uh, contract ran out, and they were in financial and uh, uh, academic emergency, so they couldn't keep my contract open. And uh, then I moved back to Columbus, my hometown, as I always like to say, uh, and just uh, bounced around jobs there uh, in radio and television and uh did a lot of odd jobs. I worked at a cigar store off and on for about seven years, and then I had a friend call me uh, around about 2007, said he was uh, trying to get on disability because he's had uh, two heart attacks, and uh, he was a veteran, and we went to school together uh, in college. Uh, so uh, I decided to move back down here to uh, Lawrence County, where I live now, and uh, move in with him and uh, helped him uh pay his bills and whatnot while well, I went back to school and got my bachelor's degree. I uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do then, but then it was kind of staring me in the face that I was usually the happiest uh, helping other people. So uh, right out of, out of college, uh, you know, I got a job at Taco Bell because that was the only place that was hiring around here. Uh, and then uh started doing an AmeriCorps contract, and then that had to be canceled because of some other reason. But then, uh, you know, I started getting into working with veterans and helping them out, uh, other veterans, and uh, that's led me to the job I've had now for three years and two months, uh, working with a nonprofit organization called the Military Veterans Resource Center. Uh, basically, we provide resources to veterans you know we are we're a very small company uh so we have to build partnerships with other nonprofit organizations and governmental or organizations to make sure that our veterans get the services that they are entitled to and we basically help vets place get placed in jobs that was our original function but uh finding that there were a lot of other problems that the vets had that uh, they weren't being met by uh you know normal means uh we uh, we altered our game plan, you know. Like our boss, our executive director says, you know, uh, we're a battleship where most other people are aircraft carriers. We can move around quickly, and we don't have to take two or three years to change the way our mission operates because we're a very small and nimble organization. And that's, I mean, last year, uh, I haven't got the figures this year, but last year, this time, our average higher-in rate was over $18 an hour, and we had an over 80% placement rate. So we found that not only jobs, but 
things that they could support their families with. And that's what I'm still doing today. Uh, yeah, we just went after a quarter million dollar grant uh, from the Department of Labor. Uh, we're trying to get, uh, well, we uh, may have gotten a letter from my competition uh, uh, to support us, uh, but I also got uh, 22 letters of support from organizations in Ross, Pickaway, Pike, and Jackson County to say that they were going to help us with this grant. A uh, quarter of a million dollars to ha- help 80 vets uh, transition from homelessness. Well, that's awesome. Definitely have to uh, applaud that. And, and you're also running for the U.S. Congress as well, correct? <laughs> yes, <laughs> and yes. All that. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I was, I'm running against Steve Stivers, and my boss uh, has managed to get him to write a letter of recommendation that we get the grant. <laughs> oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So. Well, I hope he's not trying to get you to not run against him because he wrote to help you write the grant for the. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> for no. the. No, I still yeah, want to hold his feet to the fire. Even even the guys that I like that I run against, you know, I want to, and there's very few of those. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, I, I still want to hold their feet to the fire, and you know, I, this is be my third race. Uh, I yeah I, I usually end up uh, at the end of the race uh, the Republican and Democrat repeating a lot of the things that I've said at the very beginning. So. So what this so it's, now is this your third time running for the the U.S. House? Uh, second time for the so U.S. The House. Co- uh, just third time running for public office. Okay. Now in our previous conversation uh, when we were there in Columbus. I believe you mentioned that there was at some time uh, that you were a Republican, uh, but, of course, you're not a Republican any longer. You're Green Party. Uh, some yeah. people were like, well, how can you make the transition between a Republican and, and, and a Green Party candidate? Uh, so first, let's go ahead and, you know, when you were a Republican, why did you uh, pick to be part of the Republican Party? And then what led you to your transition to a Green Party candidate? Uh well, I'm a fiscal and a an environmental conservative. Uh, I think, you know, we don't need to be spending money. You know, I grew up in poverty with a single mother and four siblings. So, you know, we didn't spend anything that we didn't have, and we didn't have a lot. So we didn't spend hardly anything. Uh, just about everything we had had to go back out to pay bills. And, you know, I remember we had to take one – this is when, back when they had paper food stamps – We'd take a dollar food stamp and buy a nickel piece of gum, which, you know, they don't have that anymore either, uh, and then have 95 cents that we could put into the gas tank so mom could get to work and, you know, make $2.38 as a waitress, which is still the minimum wage for waitstaff. It's ridiculous. That's forty, almost 40 years, 30 years, 30-plus 30 years. Well, okay, and then uh, my... The, the completion of that, you know, I, I'm a fiscal and environmental conservative, so I, I, I thought, you know, Republicans are the way to go because they claim to be the party of fiscal responsibility. Uh, so, uh, you know, I joined the Republican Party when I was 18, and everybody in the military uh, pretty much supported me in, in that decision. But then in uh, 96, the uh, contract with America led by Newt Gingrich uh, – 
basically froze veterans benefits as well as social security benefits and you know they were one of the main proponents of the nafta trade deal which you know i'm probably the only 19 year old person who read the entire draft of uh, the nafta agreement and i just at, at that point I, I was just out of my mind and i i at that point i became independent and when I was uh, graduating with my bachelor's degree, I reached out to both the Democrats and the Republicans and said, you know, I want to make improvements to my community. And after two weeks of not getting any response, I said, well, screw them. I'm going to contact the Libertarians, the Constitutionalists, the Communists, and the Green Party and see what they say. And the Green Party was the only one that got back to me and said, you know, we need people to run because we need to maintain a ballot status. So... The Green Party, uh, I looked at their platform and their 10 points, and I you know, I could probably rattle them off, but basically it was all about equality, econ- economic, and uh, environmental conservatism. You know, uh, social, uh, liberal, just like me, you know, I'm a very socially liberal person. You know, I take people as they are, not who the people put the labels on, on them or whatever, but... I take people for who they are. So I, I at that point I said, "Well, I, I can. This is a clearly defined platform, and it's not anything racist or against uh, women's rights to, <laughs> to medical procedures uh, or nebulous that you don't even know what it stands for." So I think the Green Party is the way for me to go, and I've been Green Party since 2010. Well, I know you know a lot of folks uh, listening tonight, including myself, uh, that we definitely would have some issues that you know we probably will not and do not agree on, and, and perhaps we'll get uh, some discussion there tonight. But I want to uh, talk about some of the uh, topics that you mentioned on you know the audio that I played earlier, uh, kind of get more you know flesh them out uh, because as I said earlier, you only had about six minutes to uh, talk more about those. And uh, I'll save uh, my favorite for last, hopefully, uh, that I'd like to talk about. Uh, but since we're kind of in the the mode when you talk about the veteran thing of that nature, uh, one of the things you mentioned was part of your platform is a peace platform. Uh, and I know that's one of the things that uh, Damar uh, was talking about last week when we had him on the show. Um, but I'm going to take uh, your take on get your take on that. Uh, basically, I am a a person who believes in nonviolence, you know, I am a, a ordained Buddhist minister, so uh, you know, I obviously believe in uh, you know nonviolence. You know, it like the the saying is, you know, uh, you know, man realizes that uh, violence isn't the all, only answer when a mosquito lands on his testicles. So it's uh, you know, it's ridiculous that we have to be engaged in war, much less selling these arms and. And I believe there is a peaceful solution for most problems, and that the United States do not does not have to be the world police. You know, uh, there's plenty of other countries uh, with more massive armies in those countries where ISIS operates than there are ISIS fighters. Why can that, they not take up arms against these insurgents uh, and and quell them themselves you know we can certainly give them logistical support but i also you know believe that we don't need to be putting 
our soldiers in harm's way, especially with the way things are going. You know, I, I worked as a service officer for a short time, you know, filing claims for veterans who had been disabled. And to to know the process, the headaches and, and heartaches that go behind the long four, five, 30-year fight for some veterans to get the, you know, the care that they need, it's nonsense. And and the way that the things are going, you know, they they are setting the VA up for failure. There's people working within inside of the VA that make that are making it fail. So they vets will be getting vouchers, and they'll have to go out onto the marketplace and pay co-pays as well as cover anything beyond what the voucher pays for. They're trying to force the veterans onto a free market, well, the hypothetical free market economy. There's no free market when the insurance companies are in charge because they can price whatever they want. And and that leads, you know, to another part of my platform, but we'll just stick with the military. And, uh, you know, peaceful solutions are always possible. And so let's go ahead and do that segue uh, to health care. Uh, one of the things I uh, proposed to uh, last week, uh, and I'll, I'll do the same here, is that, you know, you believe in health care for all. And, and I could see where, you know, as, as I said earlier before you came on, where if it's affordable, it's something we could afford to do, then, you know, of course we don't want people, you know, as Trump put it, dying in the streets. Now, this is a two-pronged question for you. One is that, you know, for instance, you know, our family's got some really good health care through our, you know, through the, the companies we work for, okay? And just yeah. for instance, uh, a year ago, my daughter was in the hospital for two weeks. And the bill was something where I, I, I was concerned. I thought I was going to be wiped out, not wiped out, but I, mean, I had other plans. You know, my daughter get, get, starts high school next year. And I was worried about, oh, my gosh, am I going to be able to pay for her to go to high school? So I, I send her to, you know, a private school. I'm like, am I going to be able to do that because of this doctor bill? Well, I seen a check that the insurance company wrote to the hospital, and, and my jaw dropped. I'm like, oh, my God, this this is a huge – that's kind of ironic for me to say that, but – People who listen to the show know why that is. But I'm thinking, oh, my, the check, I couldn't believe the check that they wrote. And I thought we were we were going to be sunk, and I might not even be able to take my, my kids you know, to the school. But I am because we have such great health care. Okay? So in your plan, uh, you know, let's say, you know, is your show to run, and your plan would me and my family would, would be, be able to keep – that's the first part of the question – uh, will we be able to keep our, you know, work, you know, our employee-run uh, health, you know, health care? And two, if, if we were to go to, a, you know, a single-payer system, as some of us are, are touting, how would we, how would that be paid for? Go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, you're you're pointing out the fallacy of the system is that you are lucky enough to have employee-sponsored health care. You know, eighty percent of a good the company. Well, we picked a good company to work for. Go ahead. Yeah, that that as well. You know, there's about 80% of the people who have health care do not have adequate health care, and that's because we are either insurance-based or employer-based. And even if you're employer-based, uh, you're bigger the company, the better deal they get uh, through the insurance company. So uh, basically what we're doing is spreading the cost across. I mean uh, – 
the the good thing that the Affordable Care Act did was that it, it, it created a rebate system so that if your insurance company does not spend at least well, I think it was like 65% or something like that of the money that you put into your health care, you know, even with your uh, co-pays and whatnot, they have to send you a rebate check for that, a part of that. So <laughs> if we were to spread the cost out for, you know, and if you I, – I don't know how many people have uh, you lo- actually looked at an itemized – hospital bill but there are times oh, when they I've looked charge at it because we've had some <laughs> as much as you know twenty dollars for a single aspirin you know uh, a, a, you can buy a jar of aspirin for a dollar at the dollar tree and that's the same effect of aspirin as what hospital would charge you twenty dollars well you say well they've got overhead well what overhead uh when it's a for-profit organization you know the Profitability is not a motive for health care. Uh, it's basically taking the hands out, you know, taking the decision out of the hands of the, the medical personnel and the patient and putting it in the hands of somebody in Wall Street. So how is it going to affect the bottom line? How, do we pay for this health care for this one person or do we not? And that decision has killed hundreds of thousands of people. Fortunately, the Affordable Care Act has done a lot of things to correct that, but it's still selling out to the insurance companies. And it's still, you know, relying it on a profit-based death economy. There is no health care. It's death management. That's the system that we're in. It's not health care. It's death management. And I would recommend anybody who wants to hear more about a, you know, single-payer feasibility in the state of Ohio – this Saturday, the Single Payer Action Network of Ohio is having their annual conference. Uh, it's up at the Quest Center, uh, up uh, on Polaris. Uh, you can find their information on the web on their website, spanohio.org, and on Facebook. I'll be in, attending that. I'm, I, I'm a strong supporter, so much so that I'm now, you know, on the board of Span as well as their other nonprofit uh, healthcare for all Ohioans. It's a educational branch to teach people how it is affordable and you know, hell if we display and part of my military plan is I, I didn't get to say this is is shutting down some of these bases overseas. You know, we're spending billions of dollars in every base overseas. If we shut down that those bases overseas, which you know, why are we still occupying Germany and Italy and England and Spain? I it's beyond me. Uh, if, if we create our embassies as military bases and shut down all of uh, all the rest of them, we can put a platoon, a uh, couple of co- companies in a same area to guard overseas uh, embassies and shut down these massive bases. A lot of that money can be turned into a national health care system with surplus. Pay down the deficit so our kids can actually, you know, have a future. Take care of our senior citizens and veterans as well as our children. And you and me. Hell, I haven't had health I've I've refused health care because I believe health care is a human right. You know, I, I was trained as a, a 
field medic. I've been had uh, Red Cross first aid, so uh, everything, uh, every illness I've had to deal with, basically for the last uh, five or six years, I've treated myself. Yeah, I, last time I went to a hospital was right after a car accident. I was bleeding out of the side of my head. I came in an ambulance into the emergency room. They led me out of the emergency room and put me in a waiting room and told me to wait there until somebody could get me. I sat there for an hour and a half before I just got so mad and left. So nobody can tell me that for-profit health care is a very good idea. I, I, I almost wish I would have passed out walking my, walking home, and, you know, it was about 20 miles for me to walk home. Well, I mean, I know every, you know, most people's situations are different and their experiences are different. You know, I mean, and I know, I mean, what, what we, you know, what we pay for, for health care is, is, you know, we don't, we don't pay, I mean, we got the premiums uh, that, that, that we, you know, pay out of our paychecks is not, is not a lot either. Uh, and so, yep. and that's what would, I'm saying. Would you rather what, what, not pay that and have your taxes pay for your health care? Certainly not. No, I'd be paying more in taxes than I would with what I'm paying now. No, I know I'd be paying more in taxes. I pay enough in taxes now, but uh, I, I would pay more in tax. You know, I would definitely pay more in taxes. Uh, let's say, for instance, uh, for my wife and her and my daughter, they because uh, they're on one and then I'm on my my own. Is it's twenty two dollars a week? That's eighty eight dollars a month, and that's the one. That's the insurance we had for. My daughter that does the pay for her two weeks to stay in the hospital or ten day stay in the hospital, and they wrote that you know they wrote the big check, and I'm like, wow, I'm not going to be you know sunk, and I'm still going to be able to to take her to her school. Uh, now I you know what one thing I would contend or one thing I would suggest or propose would be you know some kind of a you know not to use the phrase but a hybrid plan where if you you know kind of like what Obama promised with uh, you know his Obamacare, which I'm I'm not a fan of. Uh, but he's, you know, look. If you want to, ha- if you have your health care and you want to keep it, you keep it. And if you don't, well, then there's there's other options. And, and I think, you know, maybe if other people want to uh, get on some kind of single pay- uh, government paid system, I think those who pay for their own should get a tax break because, you know, where it comes to personal responsibility, that would be me paying for my health care, same as I'd be paying for someone else's. Uh, and so that kind of is a good segue into our other question. If, if they were to go to a single-payer system, uh, how would that be paid for? Well, I mean, that's, you know, what's being such a large part of our GD, you know, a GDP to pay for it. Well, uh, as I said, the, the profit motive is, is not healthy for health care. It's not healthy for health care at all. It's taking the decision out of the hands of the doctors and putting it into the hands of who can afford it. You know, I, I deal with people who are on the low end of the spectrum, who are, who are who are in poverty uh, every day. I mean, not, I, there's very few mm-hmm. people that come into my office who make more than twenty thousand dollars a year. Even if they can afford Medicare or Medicaid, if, if they get Medicaid, they still have copayments. Medicaid's a racket, in my opinion. Yeah, well, and if they are a veteran and they get veterans health care, which if they're they're very lucky if they get that, then they you know they have to be rated at thirty percent. And I could go on about a five or ten minutes about a rant about how the VA screws you on their your percentage. But mm-hmm. if you get your VA 
health care, you still have co-pays. And if you get prescriptions, you have to buy them from the VA, which doesn't have the the Medicare uh, right where they can dispute or, or bid on the actual cost of their prescriptions. They have to pay whatever the uh, drug companies say the value of the drug is. And not only that, but they're rationing out. You know, uh, I read a report from the Office of the Inspector General. The VA, uh, the Veterans Choice Program, which was newly instituted uh, a couple of years ago, that said, you know, is part of the Veterans Health Care Improvement Act, which was, a, a, you know, a, basically a giveaway to health care schedulers. Uh, less than 1% of the funds that were allocated for health care for veterans, that's $2.8 billion were, was assigned for the Veterans Choice Program. That's So veterans can go outside of the VA if the VA couldn't schedule them within 30 days. They could go out mm-hmm. into the free market and, and buy health care or pay for their health care that way. Less mm-hmm. than 1% of the, that money allocated to veterans in the VA to get that health care was not spent. Less than 1% of that money was spent. You know, we certainly need, you know, and I think those uh, listening in uh, will agree with you that we definitely need to take better care uh, of our veterans. That is uh, that is for certain. Well, I mean, I just, this is just know, a, a prime example uh, of mismanagement on the government half of uh, you know man- maintaining money you know we can't let them say that you know you know we're going to give this amount and this is how much we're going to spend and then they not spend it there's not true oversight in the government there's no well, and that's why a lot of people are afraid of uh, universal health care a single payer system because the government would be you know the government the government would be in charge of our health care system, and a lot of people are afraid of that and no, it's, uh, it's the v a is any indication it's the government paying for your health care, not in charge of your health care it's the government paying for your health care, setting the rates like they do with other commodities. you know the basic cost of commodities is set by the government there is some a little bit of trading on the on the stock market to make that go up and down but it is basically controlled by the government it's a, it would be a commodity you know you can't charge more than this for a band-aid you can't charge more than this for aspirin you can't charge more than this for gauze you can't charge more than this for a heart catheter because this is what the market says yeah, it's, it's, the same uh, thing for, it's, it's the same thing when we're talking about uh, labor when we talk about prevailing wages. You know, the prevailing wage is what mm-hmm. a skilled person should be making if they were doing that job and living in that area. That's to prevent competition coming from outside and taking money away from the local citizenry. You know, prevailing wages law is basically this would be the same thing. This is how much the procedure would cost for somebody living in this area. This is how much you can charge for it. And how would that be? And, and the, real quick, if we can answer that and then uh, move on to some other questions, is, is let's say, you know, somehow, and I don't think it, it'll, it'll happen, to be honest, um, at least in, in the purest form that a lot of folks would like to see uh, for a single-payer system. I just don't think – I think there's too many Americans that just won't go for it. Um, but let's say that it, it does get passed. How would that be – how would it be proposed to pay for that? 
as I said, it would be displaced from uh, cost of other things if they remove the insurance uh, from so, it. That you yeah. know the the people who are making profit from you know denying coverage. You know, if you take the hand Wall Street's finger out of the butt of healthcare, then you know we probably get along a lot better. And as I said, more you know, if, you insult, or, if you insert price controls, you know, saying that you mm-hmm. cannot charge more than this, then obviously health care costs are going to be plummeting. You wouldn't be paying, you know, $10 for an aspirin. You know, I remember back in 95, I believe it was, I took my brother to the hospital to get stitches in his foot. Now, he had health care. He was uh, 13 years old. We went canoeing. He stepped on a piece of glass. Mm. I took him to the hospital. He had health coverage, and he still, mom still ended up having to pay another $325 for the emergency room visit that we spent six hours waiting for them to give him four stitches. You know, I was trained as a medic by then, and I, I was about ready to just say, you know, just give me a couple packs of stitches. Yeah, give me a couple <laughs> packs of sutures and I'll take care of it myself. There you go. Now, yeah, you you probably could have done that, and, and so I don't want to, you know, it, you know, I want to be able to save time for for other things that you know, as you say earlier, we could probably do you know a whole show on that. And I really would like to do that and just have uh, people who are for single payer and then people who are not and just have a little debate. I think that'd be interesting. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on. Uh, to, you know, to next is tuition. Uh, now, one of the things Bernie Sanders and, uh, and yourself talking about, uh, and the people like, Robert, I can't believe you're saying this, but, you know, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Now, uh, we're going to talk about, and it's not free. I hate when they say free college tuition. I hate yeah. when they say free anything because it's not free because someone is paying for it. Okay? It's not free. Someone's paying for it. Well, instead of saying free college tuition, why don't they say government paid for or tax? Actually, even better than government. Taxpayer tax paid for, you know, tax-supported, thank you, that's even better, uh, tax-supported college tuition. Now, we do it for high schools, you know, we do it yeah. for grade schools, and I think because you do have, uh, you know, you need pretty much a college degree now. You know, I'm not saying a private university, this should be, a, you know, just like private schools, you know, I don't think private universities should have that. I think your your state colleges not your big, like, Ohio University or anything of that nature. I'm talking about, like, your Cincinnati State or something like that to at least get yourself, you know, an associate's degree, maybe a bachelor's degree from, you know, like a community college or something of that nature. Now, that would be something I think maybe be tax-supported. However, but for those, and this is, I say this should even happen with great, with people who take their kids to private school for high school or grade school, is that if you opt to do that, you should get some kind of, uh, some kind of tax break for that because I, I believe in personal responsibility. You pay for your own. If you send your kid to a public school, then your taxes go to help pay for that. And you spread the cost out. So you're not paying as much in taxes because it's spread out among so many people. And your kid goes to school for a lesser amount than someone who takes their kid to a private school. Okay. But the person who says, Hey, wait a minute, I want to, I want to spend the extra money than what I would be paying for, for my taxes. Okay, for my kid to go to a private school because I think it's better education or whatever, for whatever reason, then I think they say they should get, you know, a type of tax break. So they're not just paying for their kid's education. Now they're paying for other kids' education when their kid's not benefiting from that system. 
because you're taking them to a private, you know, you're taking them to a private school. Now in that system, that would be one that I would agree with because you're paying your own, you know, either you're in a system that you're participating in. And so you are paying the tax for that. And it might be less. Let's say you pay, you know, $500 a year in taxes, right. That to, to send your kid to a public school. Okay. Well, let's say, and believe me, it's more than this. For grade school, I spend $1,000 to, to send my kid to, a, let's say $1,200 to send my kid to a private school. Well, I'm definitely paying more than the $500 in taxes. And let's say I get a $500 tax break. I'm still paying $700 more, you know, than the person who's paying $500 to send my kid to a private school. Okay, okay. so that, that, that's that, that's my take on it. Go ahead. Well, uh, there's a lot of hypotheticals there, but uh, I think there's a lot of also a lot of failures in, in, in having uh, charter or private schools. Uh, I understand, you know, why some, uh, especially religious folks, would want to have their own little private school to, you know, you know, teach the way that you know, whatever, blah blah blah. You know, freedom of religion, what and whatnot. But uh, there's well, also a failure disclaimer. there. I'm not religious, but I do send my. I'm not religious. I'm not even a Christian, but I do send my kid to a, a Catholic school. But uh, but but it's, it's a great school and it's got great curriculum and and, and you know their success rate there is, is higher. That's why I send her. They're not really as much for the religious aspect. But I understand what you're saying. A lot of people do exactly what you're talking about. I'm, I'm, yeah. That's not the case for myself, but a lot of them go ahead. Well, I mean, and there's also special charter schools that have a military bent and maybe some that would have uh, more of a science bent and some would have an engineering or some would have uh, mm-hmm. music or, or whatever. You know, uh, I understand that. That that to me makes sense, having, having uh, you know, a community to nourish uh, – uh, either talent or, or um, your own religious experience, you know, that's, you know, I think uh, that's good. But there's also a failure on the part of the parents of not participating in the public school system is why our public school system is failing so badly now. Uh, you know, uh, parents aren't holding the teachers responsible for the, their kids learning what they need to learn. And they're also not holding their kids responsible for behaving, uh, you know, in classes or, you know, taking their schoolwork seriously. And that's, you know, a combination of that and the endless testing that we do. I mean, I think the our entire educational system should be overhauled. Uh, I don't think co- free college is absolutely an answer if, unless we include free technical school. You know, we need more people in skilled trades. Uh, I was speaking to uh, mm-hmm. a guy from the plumbers union up in Columbus, uh, 189, uh, a friend of my father and uncle's. Uh, he told me, you know, that a lot of the guys now are aging out. You know, they want to retire in their late 50s and early 60s before they hit 65. And, you know, their bodies are so racked from uh, wear and tear from, you know, like my dad mm-hmm. said, he didn't want me down in a ditch breaking my back for somebody. Uh, you know, they want to retire early, and there's nobody in their 20s and 30s to come up uh, and take up all these jobs that the 
40, 50, and 60-year-old guys who are going to be retiring in the next 10, 15 years are going to be leaving. So we need a lot more people in the technical skills, you know, having hard skills and carpentry and welding and pipe fitting and all these, uh, Steve Doring, you know, all these things need to be trained and, and, and the bottom line, uh, as far as education, uh, is we need to allow our children also to guide their own education. You know, uh, my problem when I was in school was uh, I was floundering because they kept teaching me the same things over and over again, and that just bothered me. You know, I was learning the same things in high school in Ashland, Kentucky, that I was learning in elementary school in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Uh, it, it was tiresome, you know. It, Twelve mm-hmm. years of that, you know, anybody would go crazy. But you know, but uh, I don't think free college is absolutely the answer unless we include free trade schools. You know, we need more motorcycle mechanics and car mechanics, and and we need people to respect and 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 pay for labor as it should be paid for. You know. Every job is important because every job needs to be done. If you don't respect the work of the janitor who's wiping the shit up in your bathroom, then he probably shouldn't respect the job that you're doing or whatever you're doing. Part of language, but you know that, that's the bottom line. Is that yeah, we're not do, in Bard's logic yet, yet Dennis. <laughs> what, what, what's that? Uh, so okay. we're not in Bard's logic after dark yet. <laughs> that, that's okay. what we let loose a little bit in the last hour, but that's okay. Go ahead. Okay, it's your but, first but, time here. <laughs> but that's just the bottom line to me is that you know work mm-hmm. is and labor is not respected. That you know, and if it was, we would have a, a reasonable minimum wage. If it was, you know, everybody would be able to support their family with one job like we were able to in the fifties and early sixties. Yeah, one problem we talked about this last week with the minimum wage, and that's that's not really one of the topics we'll we'll get into tonight, Les. Uh, we talk, you know, we do that later on in the show. Uh, but one of the problems I have with, with the current, you know, wanting to do the $15. And Kelly, we'll get you, we'll get you in, and, and the other folks will get you in. Uh, that I have with the minimum wages. I mean, there's people who've been working, like, let's say, in a grocery store for, you know, 20 years who probably now just make, you know, $15 an hour. And if you get a young buck or gal in, you know, just fresh, you know, from high school uh, coming in, making the same amount of money. Uh, I I just don't you know as someone who's been there 20 years I don't think that's equitable, yeah, but you know if, if we make it to that we may not. Uh, but let's go ahead. Uh, one of the topics and in part I agree with this one, uh, and that's with the legalization of marijuana. Uh, I mean I kind of do. I think medical definitely. Uh, on a personal note, I have a sister who has uh, MS, who if they were to legalize it here in Ohio, which they were on the verge of it, but it didn't happen. Uh, that she would have been able to use that, and unfortunately she's unable to. Uh, to help her with her uh, MS. Uh, but also one of the reasons why I would like to is then they can uh, decriminalize uh, the growing of industrialized hemp, which I think uh, is even more important uh, to, you know, you, you talked about a cash crop uh, in your speech you gave. And, you know, I think that would be even more so we could, we could be used as a cash crop. And also, as I mentioned earlier before you came in the show, you know, if we were to use industrialized hemp, which you can, you know, with the, the pulp from industrialized hemp, 
you can make it. Anything made of wood, pretty much, uh, can be made from the fibers of industrialized hemp. And so, of course, that would help out with our de- uh, deforestation problems uh, if we were to, to go that route. But uh, go ahead and tell us uh, a little bit more about that. Uh, well, uh, we could talk about a lot of different things. I'm, I'm currently reading Gatewood Gilbreth's autobiography, uh, I don't know if you guys know him, but he was the most successful third-party candidate to run in Kentucky. He ran uh, for governor in 1980 or no, 1991, uh, driving around in a hemp-powered bus, a hemp oil-powered bus. Uh, awesome. But uh, there's so many good things. I mean, sequestering carbon, uh, as you said, replacing wood, as well as uh, a lot of fabrics. Uh, hemp can be as soft as linen or as coarse as burlap. Uh, most of the sails that uh, our country flew under were made from hemp. Uh, the Conestoga wagons were covered in hemp canvas. The first Levi jeans were hemp canvas. Uh, so uh, if you want to talk about just hemp alone, we can go on for hours that you know you can grow mm-hmm. In some places in the state, up to three crops a year of hemp and and, and harvest them. You know, uh, so not only are you getting a lot more out of it than you would deforesting, uh, you're also you replacing a lot too, more of that way. carbon. What's that? I've seen hemp cereal where people like the seeds from you know hemp seeds are actually like mixed in with granola and stuff like that. And, oh yes, yeah, uh, uh, made of cereal. Well, that uh, that's actually in the Bible. The uh, Jews, when they were uh, in, uh, I can't remember, uh, one of those mountaintop places. I'll, I'll remember it uh, later on tonight. But they ate Sinai, uh, maybe. Boss- no, 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 no. Uh, it was uh, there was a s- small community, and they ended up all killing themselves. Uh, they ate the cannabisum seed, which was you know cannabis seed, uh, and Jesus anointed people with cannabis oil. So. Uh, <laughs> There's that, uh, if you want to make the argument to, you know, the people who are Judeo-Christian or even Muslim, uh, that might be possibly against it. Uh, but, you know, there's so many uses for hemp alone that uh, beyond that, you know, the totally different plant of uh, marijuana that is used for medical consumption can be grown in so many different ways to be used in so many different uh medical treatments uh, from asthma to seizures to appetites uh, to nausea. I mean, there's endless medical uses that has been scourged from our libraries in the 40s and 50s and 60s uh, by the government that, you know, we no longer know what a lot of the medical uses are because uh, until the people over in Amsterdam or someplace else uh, are conducting studies that say, hey, well, this is actually what we can use it for, or this is what we can use it for, when we've known for, you know, I think uh, 526 B.C. was the first recorded use of marijuana in Chinese medical history. Uh, I'm not sure, but... uh, you can't quote me on that, but you know the Chinese have been using it for thousands of years, so there. Yeah, so that's definitely something I, you know, and you know with Ohio, I think it's going to be back on the ballot, uh, 
either this year or, or next subsequent years. And then the last question I've got uh, to talk about before I bring in Kelly and Susan, I see other folks on the line. Just push the one on your number dial. If you have any comments or questions uh, for our guests tonight, uh, and then, of course, we will get into uh, other conversations. And one uh, program note, and I did see her in the call, and I'm hoping she's able to call back, is I want to wish a very happy birthday to our friend and panelist, Cindy Todd, uh, tonight, or today, rather, both. Uh, is her birthday, so I want to uh, wish her a very happy birthday. So hopefully she's uh, getting some celebrations in. I was hoping to be able to say that to her uh, here on the show, uh, but perhaps she got pulled away for some more uh, festivities. So again, uh, let's uh, wish Cindy a happy birthday today. Uh, and, and of course, many more, Cindy. We appreciate uh, you being a part of the show here on Bard's Logic for the past four years. Uh, so it's great. And uh, I did get the opportunity, even though uh, many of the people, all of our panelists are literally all across the country, uh, from Idaho to California to Florida. Uh, so we definitely have um, them spread out. Uh, but I did, uh, fortunately, uh, get the opportunity to uh, meet and spend some time personally uh, with Cindy. So uh, definitely uh, one of the uh, friendships valued here on the show, as well as, of course, our other uh, panelists and, and guests and callers. Uh, but let's go ahead and go to my favorite uh, topic that I wanted to talk about tonight, uh, at least uh, with our interview here. And the one I was most uh, impressed and opened my ears up and wished other candidates especially the presidential candidates would talk about. And that is when you talk about space exploration, uh, getting to the moon and Mars. So please tell us more about that. This is part of our, the beginning of making America great again. I know, you know, that's a, you know, saying that Trump has been uh, doing. And I think that being a part of, Hey, maybe you and him should get together and, and, and talk about that. Cause certainly uh, I think that would definitely be a, a, an issue that we can work on. Uh, together and, and and real quick side note is we all folks here who listen to the show and listen to the past four years uh, know that we definitely support a multi-party system here uh, in America and one of the things multi-party systems really have to do uh, in their in their parliaments is to work together in a coalition. I mean, yeah, I mean it is important to have uh, your oppositions, but also when you have a coalition government as they do in Ireland. Uh, they actually have to work together in order to get things done. So you have, of course, you have your majority parties, uh, but you also take information and ideas from the other coalition parties to make their coalition governments uh, so that you can use these ideas from different parts of uh, the representation of you know, their country in here, if we could do that in America, such as using ideas you know, from what we're about to talk about uh, with Dennis. So that's definitely something we uh, support here on Bard's Logic. But let's go ahead and uh, discuss that topic. Uh, space exploration, you know, getting them going back to the moon, and eventually Mars. Go ahead, Dennis. Well, uh, we don't negotiate with terrorists is kind of the tactic that the, the Democrats and Republicans seem to take whenever they're talking about the other party. And, you know, cooperation is really what it, our society is built built on, and that's the way our government should work. You know, uh, even if the party is in a minority, they should still have a voice. You know, uh, when we protect minorities, that means that we're protecting, you know, everybody. Uh, so, you know, minority party or minority person, everybody needs to have an equal voice in a democracy. Uh, but uh, let's 
go back to the moon. Hell yeah. Uh, I have a friend who uh, worked for NASA. He was one of the last uh, people and one of the one of, I believe, five people who was trained to operate the orbital lander. Uh, but when uh, NASA had to cut the space shuttle program, he was out of a job. Uh, I believe we need to go to the moon, uh, back to the moon, and, and on to Mars, and who knows even further. Uh, we can do this. I mean, this is why we have the technology that we have now is because that we – push the limits of human achievement in the late 60s to get to the moon to fulfill Kennedy's promise that they, we could do it by the end of the decade and we certainly we lost life uh, doing that and, and you know God bless those folks for for taking on the challenge and and, and wanting to to achieve more than than other people have that's what human life to me is about is doing more than what people think you can do you know achieving beyond your poten- own potential or what you think your potential is you know i i fully believe anybody can do anything that they want you know most people who are famous you know didn't begin their second lives until after they were 40 ang lee didn't direct a, a movie until he was uh, 38 i believe uh, Julia Child published her first cooking book when she was 39. Uh, I, Sam Jackson didn't act in a movie until uh, he was 36. So, you know, being young is not an indicator of, of what you're going to be for the rest of your life. You know, if you live long enough, you can do all sorts of things. And this is what I see us going to the moon and going to Mars. I would, you know, when I was young, I was a, a, a amazed with the moon and space, uh, probably mostly because of Star Wars. But you know, I, I believe that you know we could have already had a base on the moon. We could have already had you know people living for a year or two on the moon and doing exploratory missions out a little bit further, and maybe getting ready to go to Mars in the next five or ten years. It is a, a possibility. You know, human achievement is not limited by our imagination. And if we have these goals in mind, we can, you know, I don't like to say make America great again, but we can retake the lead. We can be that shining beacon on the hill uh, that Ronald Reagan talked about. You know, we can be the country that other people aspire to instead of the country people want to bomb. Ooh, well, yeah. There you go. Yeah, certainly. Um, go ahead. I just that's inter- interject. Yeah, that, yeah that, I mean, it's definitely. That, I mean, that, that, that's no, just that was just, I mean, uh, that, that's that was a powerful statement. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that was a good one. That, I mean, that's but that's just the bottom line, in my opinion, is that we, you know, we need as a country uh, to inspire other people. You know, we need to take the lead of the world by setting a good example. And that's, that's the type of leader I am when I, I, I'm in a position of, of leading troops or boy scouts or, or my coworkers. I, I, I set the example and that's what we should be doing as a country, not 
you know, not being the the world's police and being the the country that people want to bomb, but be the people, the country that people want to be. You know, that that's what we are. We're the country that everybody wants to come to because we have it so good here. And you know, the way things are going, if we don't start treating our citizens and our workers and the people who are making this country great, great, then we we're no longer that that wonderful vision that you know George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Paine, and John Adams and all the rest of them thought of. We're well, no I think that's a good way. To... There you go, and, and I think that's a good way to uh, end my portion uh, of uh, the interview and. Uh, Welcome to take some calls from uh, some of our panelists. And so let's get ahead. And we've got Kelly here. Thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. You know, Robert, your show is always after dark in Ohio, 9 o'clock. So starting of your show, it's, uh, <laughs> it's actually 10 o'clock in Ohio. So it's always Bar's Logic after dark. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, okay. Well, good point. And uh, yeah, welcome. Um, I've got a question for you on minimum wage. Um, just kind of thinking it through a little bit. One of the problems why we have this minimum wage war, if you will, is that a lot of jobs have been shipped out of the country through GATT and NAFTA. And now they're working on the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, mm-hmm. it, it looks like the Republicans and the Democrats work together to kind of sell the American worker, if you will, um, push them down the road, and then the corporations get more wealthy because they go offshore. Um, I kind of think that's the real root because pretty soon there are less jobs and more workers than jobs. And so obviously, if you're in a big corporation, you can hire people because they're just starving. they got to do something. And compared to where we were, say, in the 50s and 60s where we were manufacturing so much, and there was plenty of jobs for everybody. And and obviously when you get a more evenly matched between the supply of jobs and the, and the demand for jobs, I'm sorry, the, this, um, the demand for jobs and supply of workers more evenly matched than we are now, we obviously would have better wages. Uh, even going back, you look in the 50s, uh, dad could go drive a bus or be a meat cutter and mom could stay home with the kids, but due to shipping jobs out and inflation in the Federal Reserve, all that, We've had a terrible plight on the uh, everyday worker, if you will. What's, what's your what's your position on GATT and NAFTA and upcoming TPP? Um, I'm against all uh, so-called free trade deals. I, I believe fair trade is uh, the more logical way to go because it is equity across the board. It 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 doesn't incentivize businesses to move overseas. Uh, because it forces them to respect the the lives of the workers that they may be sending the jobs over to overseas to. Uh, as I said, I, I read the full draft of NAFTA uh, when it came out, and the final one, you know, basically NAFTA allowed American companies to move to Mexico or Canada, and with the support of those governments, pay those workers less than the minimum wage established by those countries. And 
from what I hear about TPP, I have not read it, but a lot of it is uh, trying to uh, bypass international law and generally accepted, you know, labor, wage, and human rights uh, laws. Uh, so, I I don't think we need to make any more trade deals until we straighten up uh, our tariff system, uh, which, you know, is probably thicker than the Oxford English Dictionary, if uh, you know what I'm talking about. You know, that's 27 volumes. Uh, I, I am totally against most trade deals. Uh, we need to, you know, respect <laughs> workers' rights and, and their human rights most of all because that's usually what suffers the most when we have uh, trade deals. Well, that was pretty well said. Um, yeah. The uh, How do you feel about corporations lobbying Congress so that they can get a bill passed and then um, the corporates make enormous profit? What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I think corporations are writing too much of the legislation as it is. Uh, we need to rein in the lobbyists. And, and, and one thing I would like to see done if or when – I get elected to Congress is have a law passed stating that you cannot become a lobbyist for five or ten years after you get out of office. You know, That's a good is, one. That it's it's you know our government is for sale and you know now that money is speech, the people with more money have more speech than you. Uh, so. <laughs> Guess who's writing the laws? It's the people with more money, and that's where a lot of the tax loopholes go to. So they have even more money to write even more laws to take even more of your tax dollars to support their work. I I, I would even favor lob, lobbyist is the uh, form of a form of petition, First Amendment, and and free speech combined. So it's something that can't be eliminated. But I would propose legislation that basically says, look, any lobbyist or congressman or corporate board that pass a law, introduced by lobbyists, of course, anybody that passes a law and the corporation skyrocket and the corporation's profits skyrocket because of this law, not only the lobbyist goes to jail, the corporate board goes to jail, and the congressman goes to jail. I mean, that's... You know, we had a Sherman Antitrust Act to prevent some of this, but that's conveniently ignored. Um, so let's see if I can come up with another question here. Um, that kind of covers, in a bigger picture, it covers minimum wage. Um, let's see, what else? What's your thoughts on socialism and, and uh, kind of taking from the haves and giving you the have-nots? What's, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, well... I I've read a lot about uh, socialism and you know I as a anarcho socialist I would I tend to support it uh and I'll leave you to look that up but uh socialism works on some levels you know that's why we don't have to pay separate insurance for police services or fire services uh, it's also why we don't. Not everybody has to pay extra for education. Uh, your public education is basically free. 
public libraries. Uh, if we didn't have public libraries, most of the people who were looking for work wouldn't have Internet connections to be able to find jobs. Uh, and if you've ever dealt or navigated the Ohio Job and Family Services, you re would know that uh, you have to be online to file for unemployment. You have to be online to check emails that the Job and Family Services are going to send you about job openings. So if we didn't have some social socialism, then we wouldn't be a successful nation. Uh, the public roads, that's socialism. Uh, you know, the damn socialist uh, snow, you know, plows are coming down the road uh, clearing the snow. How dare they? I'd much rather get out there and break my back shoveling three feet of snow. Uh, socialism does work. Uh, but, you know, it also has to be tempered with, you know, the idea that no one entity should be controlling and making the decisions for a, a greater population than it should be able to understand on an individual basis, uh, which is anarcho-socialism. You know, it's each person in a smaller version of a community would know what's best for, you know, whatever that community is, and that that's where the decisions would be best made. It's also a form of smaller government, you know, by cutting down on uh, some of the decisions made by the federal government and pushing it back down to the local governments, saying, you know, you decide how the roads are going to be made. We don't – Washington, D.C. doesn't need to know how the roads are being made in Ohio because some of the dirt is different in Ohio than it is in Pennsylvania, or it's different than it is out in Arizona. So the same roads that are constructed across the nation don't have to be made from the same materials. They should be made from whatever the state's – or whatever is decided is best for that area. You know, that's just one example. Well, I, I like your idea of uh, local control, if you will. And through local taxes, we have things like fire departments, police departments, libraries, um, roads, obviously, which <clears throat> helps, actually, the road system that we have is about second to none. And because of that, Commerce Im improved immensely, which, of course, helped our prosperity. I'm actually a civil engineer. And so, you know, I was thinking that through. And that is, like, for example, Chile. You know, Chile. Mm -hmm. uh, they produce an enormous amount of corn as a crop. And they have trouble because their roads are just terrible. And sometimes uh, some of their crops rot because they can't get it into... Uh, you know, like a dryer or an elevator or whatever, and and, and dry their corn. Um, it, it's interesting how you know, that's just a little comparison of the necessity of, of certain infrastructure. I'm not sure I would call it socialism. I just call it infrastructure. Um, but it certainly works, and it's well appreciated. Um, well, I think anything that's uh, centralized uh, could be considered a, a socialist system, you know, uh, because it's basically for the society as a whole so it and it's being maintained or controlled by one person or one entity or you know one group of people yeah the um uh, you you're a minister right yes ordained okay. as a, a buddhist minister but uh, you know I've studied uh, most religions uh, judaism is where I lack the most but uh, there in my mishpacha uh, and I, I do what I can. 
Okay. Well, it was interesting that, uh, you know, when we're talking about massive taxes on some, um, minimum taxes on others, I mean, taxation is a whole other animal. I wish we would have higher local taxes and federal taxes would be minimized because um, then you have, again, more local control and a lack of efficiency. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, he who does not work does not eat. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting um, perspective. And if you do study, um, you know, Judaism and the Torah, uh, you might want to look for any penalty, if you will, upon those who don't contribute uh, by force to the government to give to those less fortunate. Uh, the Judeo, the Torah mentions basically that. You know, God's look. God's his look. Yes. Uh, God's his look. If if somebody asks you for a loan, give it to him. Or if you don't, I will hold you personally guilty of sin. It's a rather interesting system, if you will, that uh, I don't find any type of penalty upon the government or force mandate to give to the government to give to the poor. But God basically says, look, if you see your neighbor, help him out. Um, and it's a personal level kind of a thing. It's just kind of a, you know, considering that you're uh, ordained in, in Buddhism, it's just a different perspective that is is kind of interesting in comparison um, on that on that uh, you know there's different social programs other than public works, libraries, etc. Yes. That you know I I just find a lot of people discouraged at having to pay so many taxes and they're working their butt off and barely making it. I mean, again, we go back to the trade treaties that really hurt us, GATT and NAFTA and now coming TPP. Um, I just see a lot of poor people. County I live, there's an awful lot of poor people. I end up giving a lot of my time as an engineer, not a lot, but every now and then discounts here and there because there's no people. Uh, well, they'll probably never pay me, but let's just end this and here I'll just donate a few hours here. You don't have to pay me for that. It's just really, uh, it's not uh, it's not the America my parents, they were married in 1950. It's just not the America that they grew up in. Right. It's, it's something that's really, really changed for the worst. Well, uh, I like to, <clears throat> there is a bit of scripture that I, I like to quote to people when I'm talking about, you know, I don't quote word for word, but, you know, the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan when I'm talking about health care, uh, you know, there was a, a Jew injured on the side of the road, and a, along came a Samaritan after four or five other people passed him and, and left him there dead. A Samaritan picked him up, took him home, and healed him. And, uh, you know, once again, proof that health care doesn't have to cost a lot. Uh, uh, but then some people say, well, that's why we need faith-based initiatives. Well, Samaritans and Jews were enemies. It wasn't his uh, religion that made the Samaritan help the Jew. It was him being a decent human being to another human being that made him provide that health care to that Jew. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I, I help at the local homeless shelter, actually, volunteer. Yeah, well, so you, um, you, you kind of, you're you kind of in the same field that I'm in. I, I You know, I work with veterans daily. We, uh, Thanks to my work, we've uh, built up a clothing closet, a furniture closet, and a food pantry, as well as... Uh, providing all these other services to veterans uh, from helping them find jobs to paying their rent. Well, you know what's amazing about while we're on this topic? It's just, 
when people feel that they're cared for, all of a sudden they somehow get out of their ruts. In two years, we've helped over a dozen people. I know it's a small town, but still, we've helped over a dozen people get lifted up. Um, is once they feel somebody cares, they'll get out of that rut of self-pity, and they'll start picking up on their own and taking care of themselves there. It, it's really it's yeah, neat and to it's, see this. It's a great feeling to see somebody achieve their potential. You know, I I, I had a vet. Uh, I worked with him for a few months, and eventually, you know, he had a very special job. He did not have a college education. He barely had a high school diploma, but he worked with chemical engineers to develop a process using chemical reactors to create a continuously thread nylon. And during the same time, they reduced their overall waste by 99%, and the machine could run you know, until it totally ran out of material, which would be 48 hours, and make a continuous threat of nylon. Also, he trained four or five other guys to do his same job. Well, because of NAFTA, uh, the company was becoming so profitable that they picked the machines up. He trained a couple guys from Ecuador and a couple guys from Mexico. They picked the machines up and took them down south of the border. Uh, Thanks to NAFTA, he lost his job. Well, uh, after six weeks of working with me, uh, I found him a program where he got training, and within three months uh, before he got his certification, he got a job making $18 an hour running the same chemical reactors but doing a different process. Uh, and that, wow. he called me up the, the morning after his interview uh, when they called him the very next morning and offered him the job. He said, Dennis, I appreciate this so much that you know it's going to totally change my life. And uh, I walked, I walked into the office crying because he he called me on the phone on my drive in to work. And my my coworker said, "What's going on?" I said, "Well, you know, Steve got this job, and you know, he's his his life's going to be totally transformed now." Wow. Yeah. Well, here's another comment about Gatton after. So um, your example, this continuous nylon thread from you know, saving 99% of the waste. Um, so they go to Mexico or Thailand or wherever, and they show them this, this process. <laughs> Do you think they're not going to be our competition in three or four or five years? I mean, it's really, oh, sure, there's patent laws, and I've filed patents and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But are they really going to honor the patent laws? It, it, it's really it has hurt us so many so many times in so many ways. Yeah, well, uh, and China is very well known for it. That uh, you know, if you buy something, uh, you can take it to a Chinese company, and within two months they will have reversed engineered it and uh, given you a, a cheaper way to to make it uh, and using it, uh, less inferior products and getting you know nearly the same result and because you can buy it and make it cheaper over there in China than here then you know you're increasing your profit margin and that's what capitalism is is increasing your profit margin uh, so yeah i i think we are in a totally transformative time now uh with the internet uh i as somebody who loves to learn and uh, loves to communicate with other people, I love the Internet. 
and the fact that I can carry the more information than a library of Alexandria in my pocket. You know, I can access <laughs> whatever true. knowledge I, I, I want at any time I want as long as the Google isn't trying to mess me up and misdirect me to a, a paid ad site. Uh, well, so, that's well, that's well, that's well, very well said regarding the internet. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, but that's that's the type of world we're in now. Is that uh, we have to uh, change the way we think about everything. Uh, you know, we are in a totally transformative time. It's like we've uh, all been transported in, onto another planet where most of the rules that uh, existed no longer exist. Uh, so, you know, it's like going from regular physics to particle physics. Uh, there's The math is totally different. Wow. So, yeah. you know, uh, we can't trust, you know, when it comes to a profit motive, you can't trust anybody to be honest. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's that's why, the, you know, uh, the locks are on doors for honest people, or they're not there for thieves, because thieves don't respect locks. Well, well, I've met a number of very honest, amazing, wealthy people who treat people extremely well, and they jump for them. And every now and then there's somebody who's just trying to be a fraud. But I'd say the majority and is real, real quick, guys, because i got to do a real, real quick, gentlemen, and then I want to get SZA back in, and we got some other callers. If you'd like to chime in, just push the one on your number dial, and we'll get you in. I do got to make a, a programming note. Uh, if you are going to call in, uh, give us a call at 347-945-7428 because in about 27 minutes uh, while the show will go on, uh, we will be in what's called Bard's Logic After Dark or Extended Period, in which uh, the show will still be going on, but you will not be able to hear the live feed. But, of course, it will be available on the podcast. That will be available shortly after the show. Speaking of the podcast, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter or also on uh, LinkedIn or just through your email, uh, you do have ways through the Bard's Logic Political Talk website to share out the link to the show tonight. And one way to do that is you can go to the uh, page that is the contact page uh, where if you scroll down, uh, you'll see the description of tonight's show as well as the link for that I send out to people on their email on the Bard's Logic Political Talk email list. Uh, you can copy and paste and uh, use that for your own email list. That's one way to share the show, uh, or, you know, uh, for tonight. And also, uh, of course, you can put the link out on your social media, such as Facebook and Twitter. And speaking of Twitter, uh, you can just go to the uh, homepage of Bard's Logic Political Talk at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, there's a little tweet button, and you could just push that, and it'll actually tweet out. Uh, tonight's list to all of your followers. And speaking of followers, you can actually follow me as well if you'd like uh, by just pushing that little follow button that I have there on the home page. Also, you can enjoy the other pages, such as the featured guests, which gives a list of all the guests that have been on the show, uh, as well as check out the Bloomberg TV page, as well as the Bard's Logic Newsroom, which you will have a plethora of different articles uh, that you can look at as well. So there's plenty of stuff to uh, look at and enjoy on uh, the website. So go ahead and use that tonight uh, to share the link uh, for tonight's show so we can get other folks in the grassroots uh, to hear our content tonight. And, of course, that is very much 
appreciated uh, by me to if you would do that. And so we do want to go ahead and bring Susan back in uh, after your comments, uh, Kelly. So if you want to finish those out, and then we'll bring in Susan, and then we'll bring things back around. I do want to continue with our discussion tonight on the beginning of making America great again. And I think the ideas uh, that we're hearing uh, tonight from our guests, you know, as I know we don't agree with all of them, but I know there are uh, some that, that we can uh, work together on uh, that we do have agreements with. And also, of course, uh, we'll talk about the presidential uh, race, how it's going, especially uh, what's going on with the GOP side, uh, with uh, Donald Trump winning those five states last night. And Cruz uh, talking about his VI, uh, VP pick already, unprecedented, even though uh, he's not the, the primary is not over and he's not the uh, he's not even a presumptive nominee. Uh, so of course we'll talk about that, and we definitely want to talk how we can move forward uh, in making America great again. Uh, and I think some of the things we've heard tonight from our guests uh, definitely uh, can contribute to that as well. Uh, you know, instead of really like the space exploration and you know, there are other things uh, that perhaps we can uh, talk about working together, such as ending this duopoly uh, with the Republican-Democrat control. I do think that's the best way we could get representation of we the people. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Kelly, and then uh, we want to bring in Susan. Kelly, go ahead, and, of course, uh, to Dennis. And, Dennis, I know we didn't actually put out how long you'd be able to stay with us, so, you know, we appreciate all the time that you've given us thus far. Of course, you are welcome to stay with us as long as you want or can. Uh, but, you know, if there's any time you think, yeah, you got to call on a night with us, because we still do have about an hour or so left, just let me know, okay? Yeah, okay. Uh, probably about another 20 minutes because my dogs are get, starting to give me eyes like they need to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. And so we'll go ahead and uh, give us another 20 minutes. So, Kelly, finish off your thoughts. And then uh, you, Susan, if anyone else like uh, to chime in, uh, and talk with our guests, give us, uh, just push the one on your number dial, or if you're just listening in, go ahead and uh, welcome back to uh, uh, Carolyn in the chat, and also want to uh, welcome Dimensional Mystic, uh, those are the people who uh, are in the chat as well, thanks uh, for coming to the show, and if you're out there listening and you'd like to join the chat, just uh, you have to just register in. Uh, where you could just uh, log in and make up a screen name, and, and that'll get you in. And so let's get yeah. And Carolyn, I mean Susan, you should like this. Carolyn is looking forward uh, to hearing from you again. Uh, so let's go ahead and finish the thoughts, Kelly, and then we'll bring Susan back in. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I want to discuss prevailing wage a little bit. You know, as an engineer, I've seen some of these and heard. Well, overall, prevailing wage just is not anywhere near the local wages and. Prices are jacked up. Combine that with high bonding, where you don't finish the project, the bond is called. And because of the high bonds, um, a lot of competition gets eliminated, so the prices of public works go way up. And uh, let's see. You know, there's some days I'm like, dude, as an excavator, running some excavation equipment, you're making almost as much or more than me, uh, and you have, like, minimal liability. But sometimes I want to jump on a bulldozer and quit my job. <laughs> um, something's got to change with that because it's if once you've gotten a few of these big projects under your belt and you can afford to bond, there's very little competition. So you just charge these contractors charge more and more and more. In my small town, people are coming from outside of the area. It's really a, a frustrating um, 
that whole system just has to be fixed. That's just my comments on prevailing wage. I, I agree that, that the you know a lot of the uh, a lot of the problems uh, occurs when uh, states start putting right to work laws into place, uh, which uh, you know it changed the uh, prevailing wages from skilled labor to whoever can operate it. You know, it's they took a weekend certification course instead of somebody who's been operating an excavator for five or ten years. Yeah, I, something's got to change with that whole system because the <clears throat> cost of public works way too much. No, I, I totally agree. Well, that's cool. All right. Well, and so by, uh, turn over to somebody else, I guess. Great. Well, thank you, Kelly. Let's go ahead and bring uh, Susan back in. Thank you for your patience, Susan. As we say here, the mic Hi, is yours. Oh, gee. Oh, I feel special here now. Um, okay, oh, come on. <laughs> You are special, so you're good. Uh, thanks. <laughs> um, I do take a little umbrage with him saying that a lot of young people aren't trained like to do with their hands, you know, and stuff like that. My son is just getting married, my youngest, and he welds. So the two or three other young people in this little private shop, they weld. He is building for his wedding because he's getting married September 10th. His own table decorations, those old give or sell. Um, they are wine bottles that are made with, uh, or not wine bottles, but the holders, made with horseshoes and cowboys and ropes and everything. He works with his hands. He works in the oil field. So I do take a little um, a bridge with that. He was raised as a farm boy. So um, I do believe there are young people that do work with their hands. Oh, no, now, Kelly. I'm, um, not, I'm not disparaging anybody that works with their hands. In fact, a lot of the happiest work I've ever done is, you know, doing construction work or, or working with my hands. I feel, because I have an artistic spirit, I, I I feel a sense of accomplishment when I, I've made something with my hands. You know, this year so far I've made two different chicken coops. Last year I made another two. Uh, so I'm raising my own chickens, you know, to support myself uh, on the food side of it besides uh, uh, just gardening. That's cool. Well, uh, no, so I didn't. I got I, the impression you didn't think that many were doing that anymore. No, no, um, I, I, I'm just saying that uh, that's the stress is no longer in, in, you know, having shop classes. It's all about, you know, let's get the education, let's get an education. Well, if that's not tempered with uh, people using their natural manual dexterity, then, you know, a theory and logic are great, but uh, until you can put them into practice, they're, you know, bull. They're just right. basically, they're nothing. And it. Yeah, what you were talking about on the health thing, not, uh, what was it, the hemp, um, the Chinese. Well, they have the same problem with acupuncture because no insurance, private or Obamacare, covers acupuncture, and that is thousands and thousands of years older than anything we have. So it really annoys me because I had I was able to afford a little, and it helped with my bursitis. So I know it works. And hemp, yeah, well, talk to Dick Otter from the state of Idaho, that's dummy. Uh, they, there's oils that children need for certain things, and he said no. So some of them, because of the threat that they would have their child taken from, are having to move to another state. I mean, he's a dumbass. Sorry. <laughs> but he is. So, and it would make money. So I'm all for this, the hemp situation. And it just 
rankles me that Butch Otter is so stubborn, so blind, so uh, I, I words cannot. He's an idiot. He's my idiot governor. But you know, yeah, hey, I but suck there, with him. Yeah, uh, as Bill Hicks said, there's something uh, unnatural about cause, making a natural product illegal. Uh, so yeah, and and. There is good news on the VA front is that they're now allowing them to uh, study marijuana as a treatment for PTSD and MST, which is military sexual trauma. Uh, believe me, believe it or not, there's quite a bit of that as well as PTSD. Uh, but uh, there are some vets who are allowed to use uh, VA funds for acupuncture. Uh, they've uh, been allowed to use uh, uh, or get acupuncture treatment since uh, 2007. But it's not... Uh, a standard or regular treatment uh, you know the vet can get it maybe once uh, or three or times uh, three times in one year and then not be able to get it for another five years but yeah the, there is uh, some support for alternative therapies at the VA well that would be cool because the VA is in my opinion going downhill veterans are not treated good at all I mean I just saw a uh, thing about a veteran that has his own land he wants to live off the grid and they kicked him off his land, banned him from it, all because he wants to live off the grid. This is the way to teach you veterans. So I hope they do give him the hamps and the different things like that. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm, I'm Car- and, and real quick, and real quick, Carolyn from uh, the chat here uh, states that's why people are relocating to Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh, my mom and I were talking about moving. Uh, here not too long ago, and uh, she said, where do you want to go? I said, well, I'd like to go out to Colorado, but I'm worried about, uh, you know, the big caldera out there and uh, Yellowstone exploding. Uh, yeah. And then she said, well, California. Well, I heard that thing is we're all done anyway. Yeah. That's what I heard, at least. Yeah. Yeah, but if that thing goes, I think the the ash that supposedly would cover way, you know, way, you know I, I think it would almost it almost gets here to Ohio. If you if, if that thing blows, I heard it that ass almost gets here to Ohio. Oh, I'm sure it would. So they're trying to get it so the football players can have the pot too because of the head injuries and the stuff. I've heard yeah. that they're trying to do that too. And in Seattle, Pete Carroll actually was encouraging. Yes, I'm promoting the Seahawks again. Uh, he was promote. He believes in that. For the football players. That's good. Plus, Washington is legal, and that was an interesting Super Bowl. Pot State against the Pot State new one, yay. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, would be a fun yeah, Super Bowl. Or for or for talk radio show host. I'm just kidding. I I've never done it, and even if it was legal, probably never would. Uh, I'll I'll sit my my beer, or my uh, my mixed drink here and there, and that's, that's good enough for me. <laughs> Oh, you do it for medical purposes, though. Well, I don't need to, but you know, uh, I guess no, I would yeah, if I had same. to. I, I, you know, I would eat it. I would eat. It. I would probably eat it before I would, you know, smoke it. I guess you could say. If I had to do it for medical purposes, I'd probably would, eat, you know, consume it rather than you know take it in any kind of uh, inhalant form. Yeah, it's much more powerful okay. when you eat it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, hot brownies. Uh, hot brownies. I see. <laughs> hey, but by the way, did you know uh, when Clinton was president, they changed the presidential theme song to 
all inhale the chief? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, he didn't inhale, right? <laughs> no, he didn't. Oh, that's right. You said he didn't. Uh, I don't he care. He didn't away. have sex with Monica did, Lewinsky. Did, no. No, you're not. Here's the thing about that. I mean, frankly, you know, yeah, you know, let's let, let's play devil's advocate and say that he did do it, which I think he did. The thing that really makes me mad, and we're not going to talk a lot about this, uh, the thing that makes me mad about that is, uh, and the same thing with her, this goes the same for his wife, Hillary, or whatever she is, because um, I think they're just together just for political sake, not really any kind of love or anything. Um but I tell you what, if, if we would have lied to Congress, and Dennis, even though you're going to be a politician or you're an elected official, then even you would probably get arrested and in jail if you would have done what he did, and that was lie to Congress. That's the problem I got. He lied to Congress. He got away with it. Hillary Clinton should be indicted for these emails. So far, she's getting away with it. It drives me absolutely insane. Um, okay, it doesn't drive me insane, but you know, you know the saying. Yeah, there's, 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 there's no accountability to hire up you get. I was just saying there's no accountability to hire up you get. Yeah, and they don't, they, uh, if there was any of us, you know, that we would be in prison if we would have done what Bill or Hillary's done. I mean, look at the, uh, look, look, look what they tried to do, uh, the Trump's. Uh, campaign manager trying to say that he, you know, assaulted somebody or whatever. I mean, you know, people died because of of, of what Hillary Clinton, you know, with Benghazi, and, and, and I'm, I'm certainly uh, sure you are familiar with uh, what happened there. Um, you know, yeah, in well, Benghazi. That's part of why I'm I propose we shut down military field. bases and make our embassies military bases, because essentially an embassy is the home soil of the country in which that embassy is sitting. So that that would be the only logic for us to have a, a military base in another country is, is to, to guard our own embassy, and it should be right there at the embassy. There you go, and then we also have uh, the SEAL Team uh, 6, what happened with them. Of course, those are the, the folks who right. were responsible for taking out, uh, you know, supposedly at least, you know, taking out Obama, and some speculate that uh, the reason why – SEAL Team 6 had to go is because they knew too much, and perhaps they knew that they actually didn't take out Osama bin Laden, that he's actually out. Maybe, maybe not, but no one really seen anything after he was uh, supposedly taken out uh, Osama bin Laden, unlike uh, we did see the corpse of uh, Hussein after he was hung by uh, the the people over there. So there's some speculation on that. We even had Michael Strange who was the father of um, one of the downed soldiers there on the show. You can check back in the archives uh, when we talk to him about his son, uh, Charles. I believe it's Charles Strange. Um, so you can uh, definitely, as I said, you're probably familiar with, with that uh, that issue. But, folks, I do see that it is 10 minutes to the top of the hour. So, uh, yes, uh, thank you, uh, Carolyn, uh, uh, good, good, goodness, it's Bard's logic after dark because when you said something about eating, I was going to make a comment, but I didn't. And me and Kelly would have had a good laugh at it. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah I, I, I just got to let you know I got to go. My both of my dogs are now staring at me. <laughs> they got to go. So we see. I'm on Twitter at tenacious Dennis. Tenacious Dennis. Yes, that means I'm hard headed. 
Bravo. Well, Dennis, I really appreciate uh, you coming to the show, and I do want to wish you luck. I, I would really like to see, uh, you know, some alternative third party, uh, Liberty parties, grassroots parties, whatever parties you guys want to call them. Uh, but those outside of the duopoly, uh, you know, while, of course, yeah. you know, we don't agree on everything, I think it would really uh, help uh, with our democratic process and representation of we the people to have uh, – you know, the parties such as the Green Party is represented uh, in, you know, our Congress. So I do want to wish you luck, and I definitely still would like to uh, keep contact with you uh, off air as well. No, no, no problem. You okay, guys have great, a great definitely. Day. And then I'll be – Thank you. you know, within the next day or so, I'll, be, I'll email you the link uh, for your, uh, you know, if you want to you know, post it anywhere or things of that nature as well, okay. or if you would just want to refer back to the podcast. All righty. Thank you, sir. Thanks for inviting hey, thanks me. For I love talking to you guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. You too. Take care. Well, so we'll take care. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk again off the air. And I'm uh, definitely looking forward to that, and I really appreciate you spending all the time you did with us. And so, uh, yes, I, for those of you who are out there and uh, listening to the show, if you'd like to uh, listen to the extended period, or, yes, definitely what we call Bard's Logic After Dark, uh, give us a call from the next seven minutes at three, four, not three, I'm sorry, Three four seven nine four five seven four two eight, and push the one if your number dial. I do see other folks who are in the call just listening, but if you'd like to chime in about the rest of our show tonight, uh, definitely do so at three four seven nine four five seven four two eight. Because if you do not in the next seven minutes, then unfortunately uh, you will miss the audio. But of course, there is still uh, something good, and that is. You can hear the rest of it by coming back to the podcast. And, again, uh, please, uh, either weather, either weather, gosh, what's going on with my mouth today? Um, but share it through your social medias or your emails. Uh, I've tried to make it as convenient as I could for you uh, to do that by going to the website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. And so where you could tweet it out from the homepage or you could do it in your emails from the contact page where you can also uh, contact the host. Now, one of the things I didn't uh, get an opportunity to do tonight, and so I will uh, uh, relieve that by going ahead and hearing from them now. So let's go ahead and hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely check out the Patriot Journalist Network and join by going to www.patriot.com journalist.com and he says conservatives working together to take our country back and that's what our show is about tonight the beginning of making america great again and that can include other parties such as some members of the green party you heard our guest tonight we don't agree with everything that he uh believes in and says we want to get accomplished but we i'm sure there are some parts that we did work together and i bet there's plenty of republicans out there that you don't agree with everything i know i was talking to somebody today or chatting today or yesterday, and they're, of course, bringing up the abortion issue. 
and I did want to talk some to him about it because just for some of the things he said, but, you know, maybe that'll be for another show, is that, you know, abortion's been made legal since, you know, what, 1973, and you've had two Republican, uh, you know, presidents who people really thought can really make a difference on the abortion issue, and that was President Reagan and President Bush. And those are two presidents I strongly supported then. I mean, I mean, I couldn't vote for Reagan, but I definitely followed him and, and uh, was a, a supporter of Reagan. And, and also with Bush, I, you know, I even uh, campaigned for his camp, campaign. Uh, campaigned for his campaign? Haha. Do you know what I mean? Uh, worked for his campaign uh, both times, uh, you know, volunteering for it, things of that nature. Uh, and thought, and, you know, because I'm, I'm anti-abortion. And so I thought this would be the guy who's really going to bring it together and get rid of abortion. Well, the Bush administration has came and went, and abortion is still happening just as much as it was, you know, then. Uh, so what have they done? What have the Republicans done for uh, things such as abortion? So seeing someone, whether from a Green Party or the Republican Party, at this point, what's the difference? Let's be honest, folks. Uh, I'm sure those candidates that you, you know, or politicians that don't agree with, they, uh, you know, what what they believe in, and maybe not even as much as what they believe in, what they say they believe in, but what they don't act according to those uh, so said beliefs. So uh, again, uh, if you don't call in the next three minutes, three four seven nine four five seven four two eight. Unfortunately, you will not be able to get into this part of the show. Uh, but we do have uh, almost an hour before we have to close things out. So we have plenty of time to talk about uh, the recent events. And the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, last night Trump swept five states and in the big order, I'd say 57% was the lowest or maybe even close to a little closer to 60% was the lowest that he did uh, in, in, the, in the five races. And so, of course, he is poising himself uh, to be the – uh, nominee. Now, my concern and almost fear is that I contend that if the Republican Party, you know, the RNC, tries to do something to stop Trump, if he has the majority of the, <laughs> excuse me, delegates, or because real close to the delegates, that the Trump supporters are just going to stay home. And you're going to hear at the next, you know, State of the Union, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States, Hillary Clinton. Now, how many people wanted to just hide under a table after you heard that? I know I did. And so if they do that, I I think that that's going to happen. And also, there's three states in the general election that I think that Trump could possibly take that a Republican has not taken for a very long time, maybe even since Reagan. And, of course, we're talking about California, New York, and possibly even Pennsylvania. These are three states that Trump could possibly get because – How about Ohio? <clears throat> well, maybe even Ohio. But, but you, you've had – you know, you've had – I believe Bush took Ohio. Uh, and so we don't talk about states that hasn't been even – that hasn't been taken since Reagan. And I think he could – and I think he could take – I think he could – I think he could take Ohio and maybe even Florida, probably Florida. Actually, I think he can take Florida. However, let's say he doesn't take Florida, but he could take one. If he takes one of those three states and everything else remains the same as, as the previous elections, Trump will win. 
Now, on the flip side, if they have, you know, Cruz Fiorino or Fiorino, whatever, Cruz can't win California. Cruz can't win New York. Could he take Pennsylvania? Eh, possibly. But there's no way he could take California or New York. So for them to do that, they're asking for themselves to to have a Hillary, a Hillary victory in November. At least that's what I think. Uh, what do you think, Kelly? Am I wrong on that? Well, I haven't heard it put that way before, but uh, just a little bit of logic here. Um, that makes sense. So the classic uh, D or R state, okay, D or R state, on in the general election, then you look at Trump's capability for um, New York and California. I think he's going to take California. I think there's an awful, well, not just in the primary, it's going to be close, but I think he's going to take California. I mean, Texas is going to be a huge boost. They're going to go, they're going to go Trump. That's not obvious, but that's probably in your RD um, chart. It was on the R category anyway. Um, Florida, I could see possibly. Uh, my mother, I asked her, you know, who are you going to vote for? She says, I'm going third party. Not Hillary, not Trump. What if Trump promises to clean up Washington? Oh, then I'd vote for him. So if he comes out with a pledge of some kind, like, oh, maybe I'm going to get the grand jury going and clean house, then it's going to be a slam dunk. If somebody suggested that uh, he'd pick Bernie Sanders as the vice president, he would cream Hillary. You know what Trump said? I heard a live clip. It wasn't a live clip, actually, but it was a clip of Trump. He said the only thing Hillary's gotten going for her is that she's a woman. Now, if she's a man, she'd be lucky to get 5%. And women are Yeah, you're getting a lot of flack for that. Yeah, but then the women in the crowd go, ah, when he said that. You know, women don't like Hillary. Ah, it was like, wow. So, I, if she does win, which she'd have to survive a grand jury indictment, not a Justice Department indictment, but if, if she survives that, um, if she gets elected president, yes, we're all cringing. If she gets elected, um, I think she's only going to be a one-term president. But I'm thinking under the it's your turn to be president game that the establishment, it, it, it's oh, probably yeah. her term. So it, it's bizarre. There's going to be a lot of Bernie folk going over to Trump just because they're furious. Yep. So it's it's going to be a bizarre one. By the way, Ted Cruz. Oh. Ted Cruz came well, out. They, with they're trying to real, 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 yeah. Well, real quick, but here's the thing: Sanders. They're, they're trying to make it look like she's blowing out Sanders. If you took away, if you took away the the, the super delegates, Sanders is only trailing Hillary by like 200 delegates. Yeah, Unlike it's really un, under like Cruz is like trailing like by 400 from Trump. Go ahead. Well, right now. Cruz would have to get 110% of the delegates to win. Um, right. And since Trump only has to get 60% of the states remaining, so, you know, last night was a strong indicator. Oh, let's stand, in, uh, let, let's stand up and give a standing ovation for Cruz because he got like one delegate out of Rhode Island. Anyway, <laughs> or maybe two. I mean, Casey actually got more delegates in uh, last night's round. But Cruz, now this is a, a twist. Um Cruz has picked Fiorini as his VP candidate. Right. And I heard that Alex Jones before it came out on CNN. But uh, so Cruz uh, picked Fiorini as his. You don't do this. 
traditionally, you do not do this. You don't touch that until after you win the primary. So what's very possible here is he met with the establishment and says, hey, establishment, uh, I need a boost here. I pick Fiorini. He'll be a woman, and we'll have a better chance of beating Hillary. Then we can say, oh, yeah, Trump can't beat Hillary. I can't, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but you don't do something like this unless – I'm just being suspicious here, but it's probably accurate. You don't do something you're not, like You're not alone in your suspicions. Yeah, you don't pick your VP candidate before um, the, the national primary. You know, um, something's up. Something's up that he's doing that. It's just it reeks of establishment. You still there, Kelly? I'm being quiet here. But, oh, there um, you go. Yeah. So Trump, Trump is moving forward, and if he survives the first round, as well, there is no second round. He'll get the nomination. Um, it's just mind blowing, and. The good news is, well, it's a win-win either way. If they cheat, if they cheat, they're going to be destroying their own party. The Republicans, we all know that. They see the consequences. That the other thing is, after let's suppose Trump does win, well, either way, whether he wins or they play the shenanigans, um, my grandfather used to call them the shysters in Washington. He was German, <laughs> but if the shysters do what they do to him and really hurt the Republican Party, then we're, third parties are going to be popping out of the woodwork and the establishment's exposed. So that's a win. If he goes ahead and wins the nomination, what's going to happen is there's an awful lot of new Republicans in the millions that are more like everyday people and have common sense, um, something foreign to, uh, I think I think, the con- I think Congress sh- shipped out common sense when they shipped jobs out of the country with NAFTA. But everyday folk yeah. are coming into the Republican Party that haven't been involved before. If Trump mm-hmm. wins, they will be empowered, they will be excited, they will bring their friends. We will have a new, I want to say, a new Republican Party that will better reflect the will of people. Question, Robert, are we a democracy? Well, we're a republic, but democratic republic. Eh. We are a representative republic. Well, representative republic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> a democracy is where three lions and two lambs decide what's for lunch. A democracy is where three kids tell their mom and dad that chocolate cake is for breakfast every day. So we, we are a representative republic, and apparently we have some democratic processes, but a democracy has no charter above it, a pure democracy. That's just a little point here, and that's why we have the thing called the Constitution. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to. And it's amazing how many talk show hosts use, oh, you know, in our democratic society, we are not Democrats. Why do you keep saying, <clears throat> Tom Sullivan, <clears throat> he did, uh, he's appearing on Fox now, but years ago, and he goes back, man, I called him, and I said, look, why are you calling this a democracy? We're not. Oh, good point. Anyway. So yeah, it's it's uh, we are a representative republic, and and under a republic, actually, the uh, minorities are protected better than under a democracy. So anyway, I 
I'm, I'm talking to you. No, that is, that, is, that is true. And I was like, yeah, no, no, it's true. I was talking to Mark Prasic, uh from the Patriot Journalist Network tonight. Uh, and, of course, uh, we've interviewed him a, a number of times on the show. And, of course, you can always go back to the uh, the history and, and you know, the, of the podcast, uh, the archives, and, and find our interviews with him. Uh, but I was talking to him uh, before the show tonight. Uh, you know, he was talking about, you know, the Electoral College and, you know, the, the um, you know, the delegates, things of that nature. And, of course, you know, they're, you know we're, we're, we're friends. We still are. We're not getting nasty with each other. And, you know, he's a crew supporter. Of course, you know, it's pretty obvious by now that at this point I'm supporting Trump. Uh, but, you know, we're still friends. We can still be amicable. Now, one of the things we both pointed out is that one of the things that, that's also going to have to happen, you know, uh, when and if Trump gets the nomination is they're going to have to bring the party back together somehow or else because the, the vitriol between uh, the crew supporters, not all of them, obviously, the crew supporters and the uh, Trump supporters, I mean, the hatred between the two is just unreal. Uh, they're going to have to find a way uh, to do that. Now, here's the thing, folks. If you're a crew supporter and you're listening to the show, uh, then here's the thing. Yeah, I know you hate Trump, but I would hope that you would hate Hillary Clinton worse. And maybe that could be, you know, what's that? The, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So maybe they can work together, you know, the Trump supporters, the Cruz supporters, even if Trump does get the, the, the top of the nominee of the ticket. And now I'm not saying Cruz to be the VP. That may be, I contend, the only way to get that. And that's for the, the you know, previous to say, look, guys, I know you guys don't want to do this, but for the good of the party, you got to if we're going to defeat Hillary Clinton. Would they do that? Who knows? Uh, we'll wait to be seen, but that may be the only thing uh, that that does uh, that heals the party. Now, personally, my preference would be for Trump to get the 1237 and then uh, take on a, a VP such as Newt Gingrich. And I know our candidate didn't like uh, when we talked tonight, Newt Gingrich, obviously. And uh, and so, or at least the, the contract of America, at least part of the contract of America, he, he didn't like. Uh, but we had, uh, you know, at least my preference would be, you know, they have Trump Gingrich, of course, or a, a, a Virgil Goode, who I also think uh, would be a, a great pick. Because one of the things that, you know, if you remember when they shortly discussed on CNN, town hall with Trump, uh, I believe it was with um, Anderson Cooper, uh, was, you know, said, well, who would you be, you know, your VP pick? Of course, Trump didn't allude to anyone, but he did say someone who, you know, I think would be good for someone who knows Congress and how Congress works, you know, because he realizes that, you know, that could be something he'll need more help with than definitely, you know, Gingrich or, you know, Good. Uh, of course, Gingrich is the former Speaker of the House, Virgil Good. Uh, was in the House for 12 years, but definitely had that experience with, you know, how to handle the House. Uh, but speaking of that, those would be my pick. Uh, and, and, and some, you know, I think that might have been you, Kelly, say maybe, or somebody mentioned perhaps a Rand Paul uh, VP pick. I, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't really see that. Um, I hope it's not a total outsider that we, we never heard of before, because I, I don't think that will help Trump, no matter how hard he tries to push that. You know, oh, my gosh, this is a great person, great pick. I just don't see if it's an unknown that that will really help him. Um, but anyway, I, and I've also seen uh, something on an article that 
uh, Donald Trump has a uh, a surprise or a, or a secret uh, announcement of perhaps somebody's going to endorse him. And some whispers are saying that a person endorsed him may be uh, Rand Paul, but, you know, we'll see how that plans out. That Whatever that – whoever it is uh, who, who's supposed to perhaps come out with that endorsement, uh, it's supposed to happen before Indiana. Go ahead, Kelly. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Rand Paul, he's not quite articulate and – I don't know. Um, as much as I like Rand Paul because he loves the Constitution. By the way, you know, with this Trump approves uh, disagreement and hatred, um, uh, four years ago, Robert, I remember somebody coming on your show and they were a Ron Paul fan and talking to the host, Nick Ingrid fan. Hey. And we're still together talking about conservative principles and the Constitution four years later. So. Well, you know, we can put our differences aside. So I just thought, it, of course, I was certainly, wrong. yeah. Well, we definitely have caught me up. We have, you know, as Hillary Clinton's been like in the state to try to bring the Democrats together. We have more that unites us than divides us. And, and, yeah. and here's the thing, folks. I do not be surprised at this, and I'm not probably telling you something you probably haven't already thought about. Do not be surprised <laughs> if Hillary goes ahead and brings Bernie Sanders on. As her running mate, I think that would be a mistake. I think that would coalesce the uh, the Democrats to her. You know, I think that would bring the Bernie supporters, of course, uh, to her, and maybe some you know young folks. However, I don't think that you know that that that, that would be smart for. Her and that yeah, she could bring on Bernie supporters, but she can't. It's not going to help her out with like independence or something of that nature. Uh, because you're still, a lot of your independents just aren't socialists, okay? At least I don't think they are. Uh, and, no, a lot of independents you know, Trump will really run that in, that, look, this guy's a socialist. You want him to be the next person? That, you know, if anything happened to Clinton, which is rare, you know, but, you know, if she was getting indicted or something, you know, while she's president, do you, do you want to have a President Bernie Sanders who's a, you know, a self-proclaimed devout socialist? <laughs> so... That probably wouldn't be good so strategic for her than Hillary. Well, yeah, you kind of like Bernie, don't you, Susan? Yes, I do. I do. That's why Trump people like Bernie. I think some of them and some and Bernie people like Trump. There is a crossover there. And Trump actually um, suggested that Bernie run independent third party. Now maybe he has his motive, but... Um, you know, yeah, I like Bernie. I, I do. I don't think he's murderous. I don't think he's, he's honest about who he is and what he stands for. He's against the TPP, NAFTA, GAFTA. He is for auditing the Fed. There is a certain, you know, he's against Wall Street with Hillary, and he wants her to open up the, you know, so there's good things. And you have a conservative, good Congress. They can hold his feet to fire so easily if he didn't have, you know, get rid of all the Mitch McConnells and that. They could keep him in line big time. I'd love to see a Trump Sanders ticket or a Trump Rand Paul. Oh, well, that'll never happen. <laughs> All I know well, that, that would never happen. Abraham, just, you know. Abraham Lincoln no. had a Democrat vice president. Did you know that? Yes, he did. What's that? I missed what you said. What was that? Abraham Lincoln had a Democrat vice president. And he wasn't yeah, but a bad that, guy either. 
Well, I know, but we the way actually, the party is, the way the no, if they ran together on a third party ticket, I could see, I could see that happening. But on the GOP ticket, I couldn't see that. Well, yeah, on the GOP, they would sweep everybody out of their way, no matter what, between the two of them, everybody. I mean, they would have a, the biggest landslide victory you ever saw. I think you know, bringing both whatever's to the table. But anyhow. Speaking of current events, do you want to know what I did today? I've done it before in emergencies, but this time because of the issue, you know that Michael Savage said, and he loves Trump, said he was wrong about the bathroom law. He wants him to change that. Uh, He agrees with Ted Cruz on that particular issue. I don't know if you read that or not, but... um, I've got the Michael Savage whole thing on there, and he said people make mistakes, and Trump is 100% wrong on this. And wrong on what? I on what? The bathroom issue. Oh, the bathroom issue. Yeah, I don't agree with Trump on that either. And even with Trump, I don't agree with 100% of those things. And, yeah, I think that, I think he's being overly PC because he's getting ready to run in California uh, about that bathroom issue. So I wanted to tell you what I did today. I've done it a few other times. I used the men's restroom in Starbucks. Yay! It gave me great You used the men's restroom in Starbucks? Yes, I did. That's because the women's was occupied, and I need to get back up there and get my stuff. So you better... Hey, there's only it's only a one stall. You lock it. There's only one toilet. So it's oh, not okay. like you're in with a bunch of men. But yay, I did it. <laughs> I could come out and say, ha, pick it. <laughs> so, um, anyway, <laughs> that's just a little bragging there. I didn't care if a man was standing outside the door. If he just said anything, I just said, hey, you guys want to walk in on the women, so don't even start with me. So there you go. <laughs> that was my daring move for the day. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, okay. and so uh, yeah, and I yeah, and I've even and I've even posted that. Um, yeah, Robbie, I agree. I mean, I disagree. I I disagree with that too. I mean, with Trump, as I said, I think he's, I um, think he's just being more, unfortunately, politically correct on that. Is what is what I think. Uh, while we're in night of surprises here, um, I, I should tell you I came out of the closet. <laughs> I uh, see, I uh, like women. I just really like women. That's all I could think about. I like being around them, teasing them, kissing them. I'm lesbian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> 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 That's funny. <laughs> anyway, and I'm uh, Robert. Don't know what you're thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, we're our conversation is kind of sad there. Um, but what about that? What about that redhead? <laughs> There is a difference between transgender and gay. And for some reason, both sides, both of them are offended about the men's restroom. I'm like, 
But they're not the same anyhow. Does anyone know that or not? It just seems like they don't know it. Because transgenders are people that want the surgery and they really, their chromosomes got mixed up in my opinion. And and they want to be a a girl and and they want the surgeries a lot. Because I knew one. It was my ex was one of his friends. And he addressed it as well, but he really wanted the surgery. And um, a, a gay, where a gay person is what they are. And then there's the ones that were born with both apparatuses. So, I mean, you have differences. And I don't know why they're mixing it all up and saying blah, 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 and this is a gay issue and gays are I'm like, why? I mean, they're not transgender. A gay is not transgender. Sorry. So I'm lost on it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, here's the thing. I mean, frankly, I mean, frankly, I don't care if someone wants to change their gender. I really don't. Now, one thing that bothered the heck out of me is when they try to say this, like, second grader boy, they dressed up the second grader boy like a girl and saying that, you know, he, you know, he was a girl or something like that. I'm like, look, this kid's in the second grade. You don't, I mean, seriously. They, 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 it's like, yeah. look, maybe you wanted a little girl and you got a boy instead. And so you put makeup on this poor kid and you confuse the poor kid. I mean, the kid's in second grade. I mean, seriously. They don't know that they want to be, I mean, seriously, you, you don't know that he wants to be with boys or he wants to be a girl at, at that. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, when I hear stuff like that, that. you know, but yeah. wait, right. I mean, if you're a teenager, and even a teenager, by teenager years, you probably know. I would say by a teenager, you probably know, okay, because that's when all the hormones start kicking in and this and that. So by then, you probably know, okay? So that, you know, is acceptable. Now, do I think they should allow under 18-year-olds to, to get sex changes? I don't think they should. Um, I just think, that, you know, you're, you're not mentally, you know, capable of making those types of decisions at that point. Uh, now, order the same way. If they want to, you know, whatever, whatever, that's fine. Uh, but that being said, you know, especially if you have a transgender that still has male parts. Now, some have the full operation, and by when, by the time it's all said and done, I mean, they have all the girl parts, right? So I think if you take it that far, eh, maybe we can revisit the bathroom issue. But if you're a dude who's, you know, who's, who's, well, a trans, I don't want, okay, I shouldn't say it that way, but if you know, if you're a transgender and you still have dude parts, then you need to go to the dude bathroom. I mean, seriously. I mean, you shouldn't be. I mean, here and here's my here's my problem with that. How many how many of these you know predators now are going to be dressing up like a woman just so they can get a to closer proximity to their prey? Seriously, I mean that that is going to if they really you know you know implement this stuff that you're that is going to happen. You have these guys say, "Hell, I don't care if I put a wig and makeup on." I mean, as long as they can get get a, a greater chance of, you know, being able to attack a, a young girl or a woman. I mean, did they did they think of that before they want to start pulling out their political correctness? No. And hey, Walmart and all these not Walmart, Target and all these other businesses that when I heard there's a big list of them that want to to do this. Hey, put your money where your mouth is and build a transgender bathroom. There you go. Problem solved, right? So do that. If you really want to, if you really have that firm belief that, hey, they should be able to go to the bathroom wherever they want, or, or, or they should have a bathroom, well, then build them one. 
hey, build it and they will come. Well, we hope not. Hopefully they just go to the bathroom. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it is Bar's Logic After Dark. Um, and so, seriously, uh, build them their own bathroom if you want to if you want to do that. But anyway, and, and I don't think that's the the way to to, to make America great again. I, you know, it's you know I I think what our, our our guest tonight Dennis was talking about, especially you know get us back you know get the space program. I mean, be, be have something for us together as a as a nation can. You know, come together as a nation, regardless of party, regardless of ideology. You know, of, of, of you know, of doing something like the space race we did, and as he pointed out, the late '60s. That can so that could be something that could bring us together as a nation. You know, this. Oh my God, we got to kill ISIS and this and that, blah, blah blah. Which they do need to be dealt with. I'm not. I'm not saying they don't. They do. Okay. And he brings a good point. The people who are living there, they need to be spending their money, their their treasure. You know. Uh, to do it. And so, you know, that being said is that, you know, instead of us spending our money on those things, we can spend our money, you know, more towards, you know, back to space exploration, something we can, you know, come together on regardless of political ideology and get accomplished for America and say, yes, we did this. And because we're the first to do this, we're going to be. We're going to benefit from it. It'll benefit our country. And what's wrong with nationalism anymore? How come they say, "Oh, well, he's a populist about Trump. He's a populist nationalist." Yeah, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with you know wanting wanting to you know work to you know work for the people of your nation? What, what, what's wrong with that? It depends upon your definition of nationalism. What do you mean, Kelly? Wait, it's Depends. Well, Adolf Hitler was the head of the National Socialist Party. He was a nationalist. Well, he's also a fascist. Right. Nationalism and fascism doesn't have to be, you know. It depends upon your definition of nationalist. Well, a nas- well, a nationalist. You know, we can look it up in Webster's if we want to. But the you know the short is a nationalist is. You know, you look out for your country, okay? Your country comes first. You take care of your people. You're not worried about, you know, one of your first concerns is an immigrant, what, you know, especially if they're illegal. You're, you know, your first concern isn't, you know, for refugees from another country. Your, you know, concern isn't worrying about the, you know, hoisting up an economy of another country. That's not our first concern. The first concern is taking care of your people at home. That's nationalism, taking care of your nation. That's your definition of nationalism. It sounds decent, but what is Trump's definition of nationalism? Well, I, I, I don't know if anyone here heard him say, okay, well, this is my definition of nationalism, but that's, you know, but, you know, the people who are describing him are describing him as a nationalist, but they're putting it in as, an, in as, as a negative light, and I don't think there's a problem with being a nationalist. I'm not saying you got to be fascist yeah. about it, but there's – go ahead, Susan. Michael, Michael Savage is language, borders, and culture, so he, he promotes nationalism because he always speaks of borders, language, and culture. It's very important to him. And so, um, so I know he is for nationalism. It just it depends, yeah, on how, how you define it. It's like 
for me, George Washington was a liberal. He was not a conservative. You can ask King George, except he's dead. But he looked at George Washington as a liberal because he was rebel. And the classic term of liberal was small government and defined large government. So they changed it. So it depends on how you define it. Well, sure, and I, and I get that. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to put nationalism in a negative light. And, of course, and what you uh, pointed out, Kelly, is they usually, you know, refer or at least, you know, hints at, you know, when they talk about nationalism, Nazism, which they aren't mutually exclusive. You well, don't have I'm to have one rights. and then end up having the other. Well, I'm, I'm a states' rights-ism kind of a guy, <laughs> if there is such mm-hmm. a thing. That's- Compared to no well, I understand, yeah. but we're still. Well, I understand, but you know, and, and I'm a resident of Ohio, but I'm also, you know, do I say I'm a, am I an Ohioan first or am I an American first? You know, and I Robert think, e. Lee you know, while oh, Robert, oh, Robert E. Lee got it right, he said, "I'm a Virginian more than an American. Whatever side Virginia goes, that's how I'll go." And he understood the value of states because the states kept the federal government in check. So that's a – and by the way, we've talked about pro-life again. And here's a stunning question that I've come up with. Maybe I've asked it before on this show. Why did the founding fathers not put uh, – why, why did they not outlaw abortion and gay marriage in the Constitution? Well, they could have. Why didn't they? Well, I guess back then because of the culture was kind of a given. It wasn't something that they thought you had to put uh, in there because, you know, kind of a, a co- you know common law thing where, you know, you just knew that you didn't go out and kill, you know, kill a baby. <laughs> um, That's really my answer. Common, yeah. Well, not necessarily a common law issue. Um, let's ask another question. Why didn't the counting fathers outlaw socialism? In the Constitution, they could have. Well, I don't know that one. I won't even try to answer that one. Why well, be a one sentence? Well, they could have added one sentence: abortion or, or anyone who performs an abortion except the mother is illegal. Boom! They could have put that in the Constitution. Gay marriage is abhorrent to God and then, um, deserves a death penalty. Or uh, gay marriage is not legal in any of the fifty states. They could have put one sentence, one sentence. Um, healthcare is right, is a right. No, they didn't put that in, in the Constitution either. Do you know why they didn't put these things in the Constitution? Well, I would say because they would say that would be left to the states perhaps, but go ahead and tell us. My best guess, I don't know, I wasn't there. My best guess why they didn't put socialists in the Constitution because it was up to the hands of the states. All social issues were. In fact, Pennsylvania tried to uh, um, outlaw slavery in the, I want to say, 1750s or 1760s. The colonial legislature passed um, a law approving the abolition of slavery. But... The British Crown said, nope, sorry, you're going to have to have uh, slavery. And it wasn't until 
1776 and independence did they say, okay, now that we're our own country, our own state, we're going to go ahead and, uh, yeah, we are going to outlaw slavery. I mean, it took a little while longer, but it, it, it yeah, it belonged in the hands of the state. So, you know, we fell into the trap again tonight of the federal government doing anything about abortion. Well, yes, they, like, defunded Planned Parenthood. That was a good start. But, um, you know, it's it's the trap. The only way to deal with it on a federal level is to have a constitutional amendment. And if Congress would be so kind to honor the multiple endless requests of the states to actually have a constitutional, I'm um, sorry, it's called an Article 5 convention. It's an amendment convention. If they'd be so kind as to honor the state's request, that would be really nice, but Congress isn't willing to do it. And there's been so many requests it's ridiculous. It's like, what's going on with Congress? Because Congress has to facilitate it. Congress can call it or the states can call it, but Congress facilitates it, and they haven't done so. It's like they've ignored the states. It's a really bizarre, interesting, strange. Why has this not gotten remedied? Why have we not had an Article 5 convention when the people are calling for it since the 60s? In the 60s, there's a huge push for a balanced budget amendment. Two-thirds call it, three-quarters ratify it. But the convention was never called. It, it's it, it's mind blowing. The establishment has really gotten into power for way too long, and maybe now, as I've been saying, I think for a couple of years now, just maybe the American people have suffered so much pain that they are desperate for a change, um, and not the kind of change that Obama wanted to give us. Um, it looks like finally something is going to be done. Um, yet it's too early to have a prematurity trumpulation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's mind-blowing that oh, this next year is going to be so interesting. I mean, a year from now, I hope that um, things are so much better, or at least on the upswing. And we are like, you know, an aircraft carrier takes seven miles to turn around. You don't turn a country around overnight. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll have glimmers of hope um, in the next year that things will be on an upward spiral. Um, and then again, you know, there might be some massive false flag where they have to spend the election. I don't know. I've been hearing that from people for years. Or maybe the power grid will go out, or maybe the Jihad will come out of the woodwork and attack America left, right, and forward. And, oh, my gosh, we can't have an election now. It's too much upheaval and people can't get – oh, whatever. Um, yeah, I've been hearing that but, for a long time. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, you never know. I mean, the powers of you are so desperate. But, yeah, I've been hearing it too for a long time. But never before has the establishment been so freaked out that one of them is not going to be the president. So I, I don't know. It's – it's. Uh, Trump hasn't won yet, and uh, we're, we're just going to have to see what happens. A wild ride again. But yeah, we'll find out. Uh, you know, we'll find out soon enough. You know, as we move west with the uh, primary, uh, and, you know, see how you know that goes, and see what happens when. Yeah, let's say if Donald Trump does not get the 1237, which I think he does have a road to possibly get there, and perhaps 
you know, you know, once they own the convention and it'll be the first, you know, the first ballot to know how much of an uproar it's going to be if he doesn't make it uh, the first time. But nope, who knows? Who knows that, you know, at this point, you know, I think it'd be stupid for the Republican parties to party to deny it uh, from him. I think that there's, you know, unbound delegates, let's say from Pennsylvania, uh, they ought to, you know, vote for, you know, the person who, who they think can win. Uh, I, I, I don't see where, I, I don't see a path where Cruz, I mean, and I don't, you know, hate Cruz like a lot of, you know, Trump supporters do. Um, I don't hate him. And frankly, I don't, you know, you know, I, I, there's a lot of what, you know, Ted Cruz is, you know, stands for, or he stands for, uh, that I agree with certainly. Um, but I, you know, I certainly don't want, you know, I mean, let's be honest, a Cruz would be better than a Hillary Clinton. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, gosh, I just can't imagine, uh, I can't imagine her being, uh, president. That'd be just, I, I, I have, uh, Go ahead, Susan. I, I, Kelly. I, I trust I trust uh, Trump more than I trust Cruz. Oh yeah, well, I'd have to say that. I think that Cruz would be uh, much of the status quo, you know, especially since he's going to owe the establishment so much. Uh, go ahead, Susan. Do you realize that there are Ron Paul delegates, Ron Paul, not Rand, Ron, that are still out there and could affect the uh, places? I read hmm. that. Is Ron Paul delegates? Yep. How can they vote in the How can they vote in in this election? Um, I, you know, I didn't quite get it, but it came from one of the major news things I got, and I don't know if I saved it or where I saved it. Um, it was a week or two ago. Yeah, if you find that, send it to me. I'd definitely be interested in seeing that. Yeah, who's to say that Rand Paul won't? Yeah, who's to say Rand Paul wouldn't release his uh, delegates? I mean, if he is the, uh, you know, if he is the surprise endorser that's coming up, um, then, you know, supposedly there's a surprise endorsement coming up, and some are speculating that it's him. Um, Susan, can you sound on, on that some more, how Ron Paul delegates, if it's because I've, I've got to find the thing. They just said they were ba- never bound or whatever, and so there's, they they never lost that status is what I understand. And I wish I had saved that article. I thought I did. But um, we're wrong. oh, here it is. We're met daily. Will Ron Paul primary decide GOP nomination? Got it. And it's from World Net Daily with Joseph Farah. Uh, the secret World, of the yeah, send me that delegates. link. I will do that. I will do that. Yeah, it was uh, fascinating. Because Joseph Farah and World Net Daily are pretty good uh, at their information. But see, they're, they're, they're calling them the lost delegates. And... Um, the Ron Paul campaign with a self-delegate strategy came far closer to success than GOP ever thought. So I will send that to you. You want me to put it in a message? Yeah, um, send, yeah, send it to a mes- yeah, send it to me in a message. I'll post it on uh, the Bard's Logic uh, 
Facebook page and, and send it out. I may even read it on the show tonight because we still have plenty of time. Yeah, send it to me. And I'll oh, read it okay. unless you want to read it. Do you want to read it since you got uh, it, or do you want me to? Well, uh, I, I guess I can. I, it's a long article, though, um, that I can give you the gist, maybe. It talks about, you know, Ted and Donald, and it says, Oh, um, whoever finds him first might be the nominee. I call them the lost delegates. I'm talking about the old Ron Paul delegates from the Tampa Convention in 2012. Several hundred of them are even now still in place, headed to the 216 RNC in Cleveland. They are scattered across several states, and who they choose is up in the air. You can call it the Ron Paul primary. He led an insurgency campaign, and they, he, he was blocked every turn. They changed the rules to stop him using the Credentials Committee to disqualify his duly elected delegates. So, um, skipping down a little bit. Uh, oh, my computer is. Um, they are asking Joseph Harris' opinion about whom to support, in fact. So several hundred of them will be going to the RNC in Cleveland. Some are voting for Ted. They see him as more conservative. Others think he's a tool by the bankers. What's the difference they ask? Voting for Hillary, whose son-in-law works for Goldman Sachs, or voting for Ted, whose wife works for him. Some support Trump, seeing him as a target and victim, just like Sean Paul was, and because they were physically removed from the convention for carrying up a poster or placard of support for their man. Either Trump or Cruz can win this Ron Paul primary, and with it cobbled together another 100 or so delegates from across several states. For Trump, it would mean enough to win on the first ballot. For Cruz, enough to stop it from happening. There you go. Silent and unseen, Ron Paul primary may be just as that important. Yeah, definitely send me that. I'd definitely like to read that and see that. Okay, I will just message it to you so you read the whole thing. I thought, boy, it could be Ron Paul's chance for revenge. <laughs> oh, my goodness sakes. Who'd have thought, huh? Yeah, that would well, be Susan, something. I'd like, I like to see more about that. Susan, were you a Ron Paul fan four years ago? Yes, big time. Yeah. Uh, and, and the John Birch Society has had him speak at many, many events. Evil Forum featured Rand, and, you know, his mother was Mother of the Year. So Evil Forum, John Birchside, they all love him. Wow. So, and when are we yeah, going to get I somebody from the John Birch Society on the show, Susan? Oh, I, I, I've been trying to reach that one guy, and um, I have not had success. He hasn't even called me for stuff. So I'm, I'm trying. Um, it'd be nice to get someone from the Evil Forum actually on there, too. But um, there was a big fight there. They were trying to oust Phyllis as the leader of her own group. There was a few people. I don't think they succeeded, but um, um, I admire her and, of course, the John Birch Society. I go by them a lot. And uh, But, you know, I like other sources, too, like World Net Daily. Some people think that Joseph Farah is a kook, and I did put it already on your thing. Um, so... Um, yeah, Ron Paul was very, very good friends with, um, oh, I can't think of his name right now. The guy that was killed on the KAL that was shot down over the Soviet Union, Larry McDonald. 
and they were very, very close. It just devastated Ron Paul. That's why he quit for a bit because um, it was it was very devastating to him on hmm. a personal level. They they thought hmm. alike. They they were rated by the Dumber uh, Society as both of them pretty much at one hundred percent for uh, conservative things for voting rights. You know how they have their uh, freedom index and that stuff. stuff. And they had the highest ratings, pretty much, as anybody's ever had. So um, it it was very hard. If you read about Larry McDonald, Larry Patton McDonald, General Patton, I think he was his nephew. And he took over when Robert Welch died. And he was going to run for president on the Democratic ticket. He was a Democrat because, I mean, he ran on their ticket. Because he um, he did not believe that it mattered what ticket you ran on as long as you could get voted in and you could get on the ticket. So big deal. The party didn't matter, which is why I take that stance that party doesn't matter. You vote for a man, not a party. And whenever anyone makes a comment about Democrats, I say, well, there was Larry McDonald and, well, John F. Kennedy. So... You know, you can smear Democrats all you want, but not all of them have been bad. Hmm. So which, which um, you say Abraham Lincoln's VP was a Democrat? Yes. What was the guy's he, name? When, um, oh, boy. Uh, Wasn't he the next president after Lincoln was shot? Yes, he was the next president, and Grant came after him. And he was harder on the South than than Lincoln had even been. Um, so um, they thought. I'm he trying was to remember my president. On. It wasn't Garfield, was it? No, no, no. no. In fact, Garfield was assassinated. Um, I'm I'm trying to find it here. I it's on the tip of my tongue and. Google is being slow. Um, so, to be right here. Um, I tell you what, while you look that up, I have something interesting to share. About, okay. Uh, I've been mentioning Minor versus Happerset, 1874 yes. case. And a uh, gentleman by the name of Leo D'Onofrio, who I've read some of his other stuff, he's in New Jersey, he's a retired attorney rights of the Constitution and other things. He wrote um, Minor versus Happerset Revisited. That's to do with presidential eligibility and citizenship. And he writes, the only time the United States Supreme Court ever did define the class of persons who were POTUS eligible of the you know, President of the United States, SCOTUS is Supreme Court of the United States, um, I guess CODIS, Sometimes you, you combine uh, POTUS and CODIS, Congress of the United States. POTUS and CODIS, you get screw us. Um, anyway, all right. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, we're going <laughs> The only time the United States Supreme Court ever did define the class of persons who were POTUS eligible under Article 2, Section 1, was in Minor versus Happerset, 88 U.S. in 1874, wherein it was held. This is in quotes and italics from the Supreme Court. The Constitution does not 
in words, say who shall be natural born citizens. And I'll stop there and say, okay. Any legal document that comes out, any code, statute, standards, now have definitions ad nauseum of what this is and what isn't. The founders did not have a table of definitions, okay? So, I mean, even contracts now weren't defined because it depends on what the question of is is, what the meaning of is is. <laughs> All right. Okay, so... The Constitution does not, in words, say who shall be natural-born citizens. Resort must be had elsewhere to ascertain that. At common law, with the nomenclature of which the framers of the Constitution were familiar, it was never doubted that all children born in a country of parents who were its citizens became themselves, upon their birth, citizens also. These were natives or natural-born citizens, as distinguished from aliens or foreigners. Hmm. Interesting. Now, here's the checkmate move on Canada at the time the Constitution was written. Ask. What is my own opinion here? I'm I'm not quoting Supreme Court or D'Onofrio, but there's a stark contrast, because when the say when when the court wrote at common law, um, okay, resort must be had elsewhere to attain what they meant. At common law, with the nomenclature of which the framers of the Constitution were familiar, familiar. Oh, so you got to look back at what the nomenclature was of the day. What did the words mean? Because back then, is actually meant is, but back then they understood precisely what words meant, and that's how it's like if you study the Bible from Hebrew and the Hebrew culture, it becomes so much more alive than it is now. So, we go back in time. This is my own opinion, and this is stunning. Okay? At the time, well, prior to 1776, what were the people in the colonies? Before we declared independence, what were we? Subject of the British Crown. Subjects, thank you very much. Let me pull up the Declaration uh, of Rights. Okay, Declaration of Independence. I'm going to go back one. Declaration of Rights, in the end conclusion. Uh, oh, gosh. There's 1765, 1774. And believe, and I wish I could find it exactly, that, oh, yeah, here it is, 1765. I wish I could read the exact phrase where in the, um, they basically said we are subjects of the crown. Not citizens, we are subjects. And it wasn't until like the the mid-1900s that the British People said, hey, hey, we want to be citizens instead of subjects. So if you look at Canada in 1776, 1780s, and in Minor versus Hapercet in 1874 when this court case was came come out, if you were from Canada, you were not – you were a subject of the crown still. 
So when they wrote in 1774, citizens of this country gave birth to a child, they were also citizens there. You, you know what I'm saying? At the time they wrote this, Canada, the Canadian people mm-hmm. were subjects and not citizens. So how in the world right. Crews be eligible just because one parent was something, something just you know. Hmm. In, in my version of Happer said, it said both parents, both parents born on the soil here, native born, native born as in native born, as in native born as a natural citizen, as in sorry, Cruz, you're not eligible. At least that's my opinion, drawing from. And speaking of opinion, unfortunately, it's not my opinion that we have to uh, go ahead and take our our final thoughts uh, tonight before I have to uh, close uh, things out. And so we'll go ahead and uh, let that over to you, Kelly, for your final thoughts. And Susan, uh, then I'll have to do uh, the close out. We've only got a couple minutes uh, for each. So go ahead, Kelly. Um. Still watching, still being quite entertained on this election round. And California's coming up on June 7th. And I'm struggling between going third party, third party to tell the world, hey, we're still out here, third party. Come back, come over to us, the third party. Or Donald Trump. Still struggling. Gary Johnson or Trump. Uh, I'm leaning towards Trump. But I, it's a hard one for me. And then it goes over to you, Susan. Hannibal Hamlin was the first one under Lincoln. Okay. Um, he was chosen. He had been a Democrat. He switched to the Republican side when there was splintering in his party. And then the second time when his, Lincoln was being reelected what, in 1864, he selected Southern Democrat Andrew Johnson instead. And it kind of hurt Hamlin because he left his Senate seat. But um, so uh, that old-fashioned Southern Jacksonian Democrat, a pronounced right views, is what uh, Andrew Johnson was. And it said against him were the radical Republicans in Congress, and he was no match for them. So there was two vice presidents under Lincoln. So the first one didn't become president because he was kind of tossed aside for Johnson and Johnson became the vice president or the president. Lincoln was assassinated. So there you go. Hmm. There's your history. Wow. Mystery solved. The mystery for next week is what will we be discussing uh, next week? Uh, I have been in contact with uh, Christina Tobin. You remember her. Uh, She is the founder of Free and Equal. I was hoping to have her back on the show next week. Unfortunately, uh, she's been doing traveling at the time, uh, but I do have a message out for her to uh, possibly be there on, be here on May 11th. Uh, she said that weekend week would be good, but I'm just awaiting a final confirmation on that. So we are looking forward to May the 4th, having Christina Tobin back on the show uh, for free and equal. And uh, just go ahead and Google both of those. If you'd like to get more information out on them, and then next week we'll be talking about the, you know, how events of uh, the past week are gone. And so I do want to appreciate uh, you folks all coming out and uh, being a part of tonight's show. We want to, of course, thank our guest, uh, Dennis uh, Lambert, for coming on. 
And uh, you know what? He never gave us a uh, a website, but I know you can Google him, uh, Dennis Lambert for Congress, and you'll be able to find his uh, website. Uh, so check that out as well. And speaking of checking out websites, of course, a couple more to check out, uh, and that's, of course, the Patriot Journalist Network at www.patriotjournalist.com. And, of course, also check out uh, the website for us at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. And uh, as I said uh, earlier in the show, uh, it's easy for you to share out the link. Uh, just do it by Twitter by pushing that uh, Twitter button. You do have to sign in your Twitter account, uh, but you can find that on the homepage of the Bards Logic Political Talk website. And uh, you can also go to the contact page where you can copy and paste uh, the description of tonight's show and put it into your own uh, email and send it out that way. And, of course, it would be uh, greatly appreciated if we were to uh, do that. And so uh, check it out, and we will see you next week. And so, of course, I will end tonight, as I do every night, and that is by the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And, of course, you can hear more of her music by going to www.com. Aubrey, and that's with a B, Ashburn.com. So see you next week, folks. Take care and have a good night. See you next time. Bye, bye.